Um, so it's uh, good to see everybody. Um, Sister Zakia, I'm an organizer um, from Ohio, uh, but I live in the D.C. region now. Um, so I'm happy to be here um, amongst warriors and to have this discussion tonight. Welcome back to the folks as well from last night. Um, that was a great discussion as well. Um, a couple of people I see in the in the chat were here from last night. Just give me a second, and I'm I'm actually um, pulling up the document now. Um, and so, just to let you all know, the beginning will, you know, just have each panelist. We'll give you a two minute um, for your intro. So during this time, you know, you should just tell the audience number one, you know, who you are, which organizations you're affiliated with and how you define black power and what you've done to contribute to black power. Now, I know that's a lot for two minutes for some of y'all, cause you know, y'all been doing this work for a minute, but those are the prompt uh, questions. I'll read through it one more time, just to make sure you got it. So each panelist, you will have two minutes for your intro. And number one, you will tell us who you are, your name, which organizations you're affiliated with and how you define Black power and what you've done to contribute to Black power. Uh, and so I want to start off um, with Mama Nikichi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm probably the elder on this list. But hey, so I'm Nikichi Taifa, and I think I will say who I am through um, um, my publications. In 1975, I wrote this. New African Children of the Sun, along with Brother Imamu, a coloring book. In 1980, I wrote this, Shining Legacy, Story Poems and Tales for the Young, so Black Heroes Forever Will Be Sung. 1990, I wrote this, The Adventures of Kojo and Ama. Uh, oh, my God. I forgot when this was 1987. These were two versions of Reparations Yes, co-authored along with Brother President Imari Abubakari Obadeli and Chokwe Lumumba. And just last month, I wrote this, Black Power, Black Lawyer, My Audacious Quest for uh, Justice. Um, I'm representing myself. I've been involved with numerous different groups. I define Black Power as the movement for self-determination that demands respect, political, economic, and culturally relevant empowerment, and repertory justice. And what I've done to bring that about, I mean, just trying to... Um, get the word out with respect to everything I've grown up with and learned over the years from the ancestors' feet that I said it. That's great modeling. Appreciate you. I think that was under two minutes. So thank you. And welcome to this panel. It's good to see you. Uh, I guess uh, next up, we'll go with uh, Dr. Kamal uh, Rashid, I believe is your last name. Two minutes. All right. Good evening, everybody. So yeah, I'm Dr. Kamal Rashid. I'm a I'm an associate professor here in Chicago uh, at National Lewis University. I'm the uh, chair of the Education Committee of the Comedic Institute of Chicago. I'm also the president of the Midwest Region for the Association for the, of the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, and I'm connected with, with a number of other community organizations. Uh, however, with respect to the question, um, how do I define Black Power? I define Black Power as African sovereignty. That is the capacity of African people to determine their own destiny, to be independent of any other people, to uh, define reality for ourselves, to feed ourselves, to clothe ourselves, house, educate, heal uh, ourselves, and so on and so forth. For me, in order for African people to attain sovereignty, however, we have to have an African worldview. That is, we have to reclaim our culture. So for me, Black power 
necessitate sovereignty, but in the path to attaining sovereignty, there's also the necessary element of the reclamation of our culture. So we need both the reclamation of our culture and the restoration of sovereignty in order to actualize what black power means. And that's it. Thank you. Ashe, thank you. Uh, next, I think we'll go with Sister, I believe, uh, Ayo Ayoba Mello. Habibi Fodia, everyone. Um, so yes, my name is Mello. Uh, I am the co-lead of the Boston chapter of the Straight Black Pride Movement. Uh, also, I'm a member of Black Liberation Movement. Um, Afri Black Power for me, like Brother uh, Dr. Kamal Rashid said, I'm going to piggyback off that, is sovereignty and the rejection of Yoruba practices. Uh, we're under attack. And there's an onslaught. And our rejection of, the, of their ways of life, for me, is uh, Black Power. And reclaiming and refocusing and redirecting our energies back into us giving the Yoruba less, giving of ourselves more. That's Black power for me. All right. And let's see. Next up, Dr. Wes Bellamy. Can you guys hear me? Stokely. So my, my one-year-old daughter, Stokely, is anxious to join us. Um, so you may hear a little back no background noise. And I put oh, in the yes, chat... Brother. I'm going to try to stay on as long as I can. Saturdays are family nights. And um, Stokely is definitely, and her mother are both really, uh, making sure daddy has daddy time. But I'm Wes Bellamy. Um, I am the national co-chair of the newly launched Our Black Party, which is a political affiliation. Um, I know Diddy came out and made a lot of noise and headlines about that last week. But in fact, we've been working on this for much longer. He didn't actually launch it. He's our partner, but headlines are headlines. Um, I also serve as the political science department chairman at Virginia State University, and I am the former vice mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia. Happy to be here. All right. Thank you. And let's see, next up, LB. Greetings, everyone. Um, LB, originally from New Jersey. Um, I'm part of Afrocentricity International, um, and I would just echo uh, what Dr. Rashid and Sister Mello said. Uh, Black power to me is self-determination, operating from the, the core and essence of who we are as African people. Um, sovereignty with no exception. Uh, kind of new to the organizing realm. Um, so right now my contribution um, is my two children, you know, I got a 21-year-old 20, 20, warrior, not a 15-year-old daughter. And if anybody knows my daughter, they know she's a force to be reckoned with. So y'all look out for her. Um, so right now, that's my that's my contribution. <laughs> Brother Opie? I believe you're on mute, brother. Brother, Brother Mukasa is calling me now. You want me to? I'm going to tell him to come on. Yeah, yeah. Please do tell him. Yeah. All right, hold, hold, hold on real quick, please. Okay, All we'll right. go to another so, panelist. No worries, uh, Brother uh, Asukayo. I apologize if I messed up your name. You can tell us what it is. You're not the first one, sister. You could call me Brother Charles, and you could call me Brother Asukili, but just call me Brother. That's uh, so. My name is most folks in the community because I'm probably one of the uh, under. I'm one of the young elders probably in this group. Most people know me as Brother Charles, but 
but I've always had isokinic for like the last 10 or 15 years and most people never knew it because I keep it to myself. Sometimes you don't share your names with everybody, you know what I'm saying? Some things you keep close because people try to use it against you spiritually. But anyway, I, I'm a member of the Sons of Africa. I'm also currently a member of the Malcolm X Commemoration Committee. Uh, I work as far as like raising money for our, uh, our political prisoners. Um, I was one of, uh, during the election cycle of, God, I can't remember, 2005, 2006, I was a, one of the national uh, election commissioners for the Republic of New Africa. So I've been involved in a few different organizations. I help Dr. Leonard Jeffries right now with his tech stuff and general clerical administrative stuff. So I, I've been around, involved in education and politics even before I knew about being African and just being Black. I was a student at City College when we took over the students because uh, took over the schools because they were trying to uh, raise the tuition, which meant that a lot of black and brown folks wouldn't be able to go to school. So for me, I don't deal with just black power. I believe we need to say what it is: is African power. And as our brothers and sisters already said, that starts with being sovereign. That starts with being self-determined. Uh, Dr. Jeffries has a model of economic politics and culture, and you have to have a system that encompasses all three with African core spiritual values at its center in order for you to proceed. So that talks about taking back our African mind, our Africanness, and putting that at the center of whatever it is we are and do. If you want to expand upon it, we could talk about uh, Neely Fuller and his nine areas, and I would add one because he didn't put anything about health in his nine areas. 15 seconds. So we just need to control everything that encompasses what we need to live in our lives. And that's wherever we are, whether we have our own nation or if we're within somebody else's nation uh, uh, as temporary citizens or to do commerce or whatever. We have to control our communities. Okay. Uh Sister uh, Tierney. Again, I apologize if I messed up your name. It was correct. Yes. So Tierney Cherie, um, I host the, the YouTube channel African Esquire TV. Um, I'm the steering committee chair for We Charge Colonialism. We're an organization that's really pushing that we recognize our struggle as colonialism and align it with the global African struggle. And I do define Black power, as many of you have already stated, um, self-determination, control. In particular, in America, we need control over our politics, our communities. Uh, we need to ensure that we are not being manipulated by outside forces. And that's what's happening in mass right now. Um, so over, overall sovereignty, and of course, that has to be uh, connected to the African sovereignty, because if Africa is not free, then we are not free. So I definitely think that we have to push Black power um, as a means of control globally. Ashe. Brother Gabriel? Peace, hey, what's going on? Uh, Brother Gabe, Bryant. Um, I work with several organizations, I guess, for this space. I work for the campaign to bring Mumia home, uh, as well as the movement for Mumia, as well as the Black Philly Radical Collective. Um, the ways in which I look at Black power is our ability to own, operate all institutions that serve us and operationalize it in our best interests. Uh, that includes everything from health, wealth to industry um, and everything in between. Um, that also includes the environment. Uh, my contribution has been, you know, multifold like all the other panelists, um, starting out as an organizer, starting out by, by building think tanks of discussion on how we can build these conversations, going towards being the artist that will present 
you know, conscious music to the public, but more importantly, in the last several decades, thinking about ways to bring our generals and soldiers home. Those folks who are prisoners of war have been locked down 40 years, 50 years, 30 years. We've had multiple victories over the years, including the, the Move 9. We had a scare yesterday with Jalil game, but he's actually back home. It's beautiful. But I believe a significant part of black power is making sure that all those folks who were captured get taken back home. Ashay. And, yeah, and I believe, let's see. It's me. Oh, my God, everybody. Oh, bro. OB. Okay. There yeah. We go. Right. Yeah, I was I was um talking to Mukasa to get him straight so he can he can join us. But um yes, yeah, so um good evening, um daughters and sons of Africa, sisters and brothers, and comrades and friends. Um my name is um Obi Abuna Jr. I'm the external relations officer of the Zimbabwe-Cuba Friendship Association. I am the United States correspondent to the Herald, Zimbabwe's national newspaper. And I am the advisor to the Mass Emphasis Children's History and Theater Company and the Mass Emphasis Positive Action and Creativity Youth Brigade. These are um, children that have a theater company and they have a youth brigade ensemble. Um, So by skill... I'm an African history teacher. I've been teaching for 30 years. Children, I have, I'm a journalist, and um, I'm a children's playwright. I've written um, 24 plays um, 20, since 2011. 20, 20 of them have been performed, and four of them are on hold right now. Um, I'll get into that um, as the discussion um, progresses. Um, I want to use Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah's definition of black power. I think that's of paramount importance because the first thing we must do is stop the micro micro nationalizing of black power and focusing only on expressions and sentiments within U.S. borders. He said that black power is part of the world rebellion of the oppressed against the oppressor, of the exploited against the exploiter. It is linked with the pan-African struggle for unity on the African continent with all those who wish to establish a socialist society, one unified socialist Africa. With Africans in the diaspora, be it the Africans that have been in Australia for 80,000 years, be it the African 160 million of us in India, the 190 million of us throughout the Americas, all committed to that objective, all making a humble contribution towards that goal. That's what I have to open. Ashay. All right, brother Omawali, round us out, then we can get into the questions. All right, family. I just sent, so just so everybody knows, I'm going to be both the timekeeper and a, a panelist tonight. So <laughs> pardon for, for any disruptions, but brother Mukasa, I just sent him a link. So he should be joining us uh, very shortly. Um, but so who I am, my name is brother Omawale. Um, I'm a grassroots organizer from the Philadelphia area, um, past president of uh, the UNIA and ACL Division 121, uh, located in Philly, uh, currently serve as the Vice Schnuti for Afrocentricity uh, International. Um, I define power um, simply as the ability to act. Um, and in my mind, the way that we act as a collective is through organization. Um, so I believe that there is no such thing as black power or African power without black or African organizations. So that means organizations that are imbued with our DNA, uh, with our values, with our interests and with our um, perspectives, uh, so to speak. Um, and my contribution to that. Uh, has been working to both educate, um, but also facilitate the development of institutions within our community and building structures that can house our power um, and advance our goals collectively. Ashe. 
All right. Um, so, Bet, um, let's get right into it. And just let me know when the other uh, panelists um, arrive, if you'll let me know. Um, and then, I, I, you know. I got you. You want to read them the the, the 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 ground rules for response timing and all of that, so they'll, they'll know what I'm holding them accountable for. Yeah, I appreciate that, brother. Yeah. So basically, um, we're through introductions. You know, I'll, I'll ask a question. Each panelist will have 60 seconds um, to respond. If another panel, panelist challenges a perspective um, that was put forth by the speaker um, on the table, then you will have 30 seconds to respond to that. So no back and forth, you know, outside or above the stated guidelines. Um, the first 55 minutes of this will be questions from me, the moderator, the next 15 after that will be questions from the audience. And we'll um, get those through the chat here, I believe, right? The questions are going to be through the chat. Or are you going to bring people in to do the questions? More. If people can use the Q&A feature today, that's right. how we'll, okay. we'll ask your questions. So I'll select questions from the Q&A feature at the end, and then you can tell them how we'll close out. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, we'll we'll have that. Um, and then, you know, with the final 25 minutes, each panelist will again be given two minutes to share practical solutions for remaking Black Power and where the audience can connect with them going forward. All right. Um, I'll go over that again, you know towards the end, just so people know, you know, um, what's happening with that. All right. So, um, cool. So the first um, question is just going to be to the entire, you know, panel and anybody can kind of jump in on this. And the first question is, how should we define a black political agenda? Is it the same as black liberation agenda? And if not, how do they differ? Y'all want me to read it again? I'll take a I'll take a stab at that. Um, I guess since I'm a national culture of a black party, I think in you know, my philosophy may be a little different from others. Stokely wants to join us. Okay, honey. For me, I feel it's important to notate that black folk are not a monolithic group. And because we're not a monolithic group, it's okay for us to not all have the exact same ideas about everything in which we're trying to do. Right, honey. Thank you. And because that we don't have the exact same ideas, I, I just I just feel as if to a certain extent, um, we're one of the few cultures, ethnicities for that matter, in which we expect ourselves to do exactly, everyone expects us to do the same thing all of the time in the exact same way. You don't see that from, in my personal opinion, just from traveling and, 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 other, and other mechanisms, like you don't find that in other cultures. And I think that we have to have grace with each other there needs to be a level of leeway that we provide to each other because we're all, again, we are different political philosophies and the ways in which we go about things. But as long as that we are all focused and centered on empowering our folks and putting black people first, then there's nothing wrong again with us doing it our own way. But that's just my philosophy and my own thought. All right. And any thoughts around the black liberation part of the question? Is it, is it the same or is it different for you? It's, it's different. Um, I think liberation means different things to different people. So, like, I mean, I live, I'm a, I'm a former elected official. I live in probably the last black neighborhood in my city. I live in the middle of my neighborhood. What I, what I view as liberation for my people in terms of us having our own economic freedom, having our own political power, owning the things that we do, is different from the folks who live across the street from me. And what they view as liberation is ensuring that they have food in their refrigerator and making sure that they have food on the table. And that's the furthest extent of what they're looking for. Liberation to them means just making sure they have enough money that their kids 
can have school clothes or that they can do what they need to do in order to move their community, excuse me, move their family forward. So we have two different philosophies in terms of liberation. That doesn't mean that mine is right and theirs is wrong. It's just we kind of go about it differently based off of our philosophies. And there's no one way, in my personal opinion, there's no one way for us to bring forth um, liberation or just like there's no one black political agenda because we're not all the same. All right. Anybody else um, want to take a stab at that question? I'll read it again. Um, I have to read it again, sister. Let me. Let me. All right, let me just <laughs> step in a little bit. Right. We're talking about two different terms. One is politics. The politics, right? Politics. You don't have to necessarily agree or even be kinsmen of the people that you're engaging with politically, right? But it's it's different people's coming together and trying to come to some type of agreement on how they're going to govern themselves. Uh, uh, where they are, how they're going to manage their economy, how they're going to manage other things, education and all of that, right? So politics is politics is one thing, but if you say liberation, you're talking about a people being free and controlling themselves. See, we play, it's like what Malcolm used to say about revolution. We play with terms a lot of times and get theoretical and stuff. Liberation is not a pretty thing and liberation is not about negotiation. Liberation is about you controlling your land and your resources and your people uncontestably, uncompromisingly. We, we play with a lot of terms a lot of times. So the two things are not synonymous. Ashe, others want to step in on that question? Any sisters want to hear from sisters as well? S- Sister Mello has her hand raised. Uh, Sister Zakia, I don't know if you have your chat, uh, your panelists like list open, but some of them are raising their hands on the side. So, uh, uh-uh, I can't even see none of that. Uh, so if you click the chat icon at the bottom of your screen, okay, it should open up a, a sidebar where you'll see all of the panelists. Um, oh, okay, come on uh, in. Um, all right, yeah, go ahead, sister. Sorry about that. Yeah, I didn't see that, brother. I'm all... So for me, it's interesting. Um, I don't think that I think that um. Black folks have way too many directions. And what happens is that people who are have their own opinions feel that they're entitled to their own facts. And until we get on one political accord, we're not going to have political freedom. Um, and, and we don't have any stake or, or any substance in the current system of politics in this country. We really have no, in my opinion, we don't have any good business in it. Um, you know, Baba Kwame Torre laid out the blueprint for us. You know, we need our own revolutionary political party. It's going to be very difficult to get folks on the accord, but I feel like we have to be firm and steadfast and uncompromising and unapologetic. That word is thrown around so much, but I see a lot of apologizing and I see a lot of compromising. So until we find really our backbone, our collective backbone, we're not going to have political liberation or political freedom or political independence. Um, I hope I'm speaking to the question, but so I guess the the overall message that I'm trying to convey is that we don't have a stake in the current political system, in my opinion, not a real one. We have a facade where we're given, you know, scraps and we're given pieces here to appease us. And and we've been fine with that. We haven't gotten that we don't really have power until we come together collectively, demand it and take it because nothing's going to be given to us. We will not be able to get anywhere. I say, um, and just for a recap, um, the question is, how should we define a black political agenda 
is it the same as a black liberation agenda? And if not, how do they differ? Just in case anybody else wanted to come in um, on that question. I'll come in. Um, I do. I do view them as very different and separate. When I'm talking about a black political agenda, I can uh, come together with people who may not have a, an agenda that I think will dismantle the system of white supremacy. For example, I, I might come together um, as an organization with an organization like the NAACP, which, in my opinion, it does not have an agenda that's going to dismantle systemic racism, that's going to end the oppression of my people. But when I'm coming together with them, I'm coming together for the limited purposes that we have in common. That's, to me, what politics is about. It's about, um, someone said, negotiation. It's about, okay, we have this area where we might, like, I might have a, an issue in my community um, of, of a company dumping toxic waste. And so I can come together with organizations that can mobilize inside of that type type of fashion. Does that exist today? I don't think so because our people are far from organized. And until we get that level of organization, there's really no talk of a black political agenda. But when I think of black liberation, I'm talking about total liberation from the white supremacist capitalist system. And that is completely separate. And that I think you have to organize on a higher level. I can't necessarily join with the NAACP whenever I'm talking about that, um, that area can i weigh on that question also absolutely this is yeah uh, absolutely. yeah i appreciate that question I, you know when i think about the idea of a political agenda uh particularly a black political agenda it makes me think about a number of things uh it makes me think about this idea of policy advocacy right you have a lot of black folks who are consumed with the process of advocating for this policy or that as it relates to black folks you have uh people who are O2, in many respects, are engaged in a negotiation, and I appreciate that uh, African Esquire, uh, Sister Chair, they mentioned that word, people engaged in this negotiation with the existing system. And so one of the things that's clear to me is that you can have a Black political agenda that, that both in, entails Black people participating in the existing system, but at no point attempting to dismantle that system, at no point attempting to obliterate that system. It makes me think about something that Jacob H. Carruthers wrote about in uh I think it's in one of his essays, uh, his essay on political science and on political science and intellectual warfare, where he argues that one of the problems with this idea of politics itself is that it's bound up in this, this European conception of fundamental alienation, where you have different combatants, different disputing partisans within a political arena engaged and struggle against one another. And so one of the things that I think is implicit in this idea and Black people embracing this idea of a political agenda is that it often assumes that we are playing a part in a political game that we ourselves do not control. That's why I think generally what people posit as a Black political agenda has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the capacity of Black people to determine their own future. Because in that reality, we're not interested in playing a game. We're interested in shaping reality for ourselves. And we're not trying to engage in a type of negotiation with our enemies who we don't want to obliterate us. So you don't negotiate with people who wish your demise. So that's it. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that's real. Anybody else want to weigh on this question? Yes. Okay, this is Nikichi. I come on with what uh, my brothers and sisters are uh, saying. What we're essentially saying is that at the end of the Civil War, we basically had four options as to our 
political uh, future, uh, whether we were going to go back to the continent of which we were snatched and kidnapped from um, Africa, whether we were going to um, go to another place, the Haiti or the, the islands or wherever our families were cruelly um, separated, whether we were going to stay here and uh, strive to make a so-called multiracial democracy real, or whether we were going to stay here on this land and, um, and form an independent uh, black nation state. And each there have been groups of us throughout history that have sought each one of those as to a political future. For years and years and years, uh, we, well, let's just say black nationalists, talked about a black nation. That was like from a 30,000 foot angle, a black nation. But it, 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 it wasn't really concrete. Uh, you know, Malcolm X says that freedom cannot be amorphous or misty. It must be for land and it must be for sovereignty. Unless it is for that, it is an a, a, a internal matter to uh, be dealt with between citizens who are treated right of a nation and citizens of a nation who are treated wrong. And we've suffered the uh, ramifications of that for, you know, for centuries. So when we talk about a Black political agenda, when we talk about a Black liberation, it depends on what context you're looking at that from. Are you looking at it from an independent stance? Are you looking at it from a wanting to join the white nation that's here type stance? So they're diametrically opposed. Whether you're talking about leaving here and going to the continent, whether you're talking about taking up roots somewhere else, whether you're talking about establishing an independent nation state by here on this soil, it all depends on the context with respect to how you're looking at the uh, issue. So that's my contribution. Thank you, Mama and Keisha. That was great. Um, just trying to check, make sure I don't see any other hands raised. I'm still learning. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just add on real quick. This is a key. I'll just say, Come on in. yeah, I'll just say, I think, you know, uh, a black political agenda, if it's authentic, should operate through a black liberation lens. However, a black liberation agenda doesn't necessarily require black politics to be at its center. I think that's one critical difference that, that I see as far as the way that it functions. I also think that it's, it's incredibly important to think about, uh, you know, diasporan liberation in this context. Um, as a Pan-Africanist, the work that I've done on the continent has been probably in many ways, uh, you know, more intricately valuable to world liberation for Black people than necessarily the work that I've done locally. And so I think thinking about how we can, you know, kind of operationalize some of our Pan-African roots, Pan-African connections, you know, making, you know, uh, 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 connections with leaders, organizers, activists who are on the ground, the work that I've done in Ghana and Nigeria specifically, but also in Cape Verde and Kemet. That work, I think, also needs to be a part of this question of liberation, because if it's not, then we're only going to find ourselves kind of cutting off a piece of ourselves and cutting off a piece of the work that, that actually could really speak to the sovereignty I think that everybody's talking about, particularly when it comes to questions of land and when it comes to questions of how we look at industry. Those are the two areas that we got to really revisit, particularly about how our environment, obviously, in the health of America, operates to destroy all of us, as we are. So I just wanted to offer that. Okay. Um, okay. Um, come on uh, in. Yeah. Yes, I, I wanted to come on in. Um not not trying to be antagonistic, but the only time I use the word black is when I'm referring to somebody that I grew up that happens to be their nickname. Um, so, but I understand the question. I, I, I'm focusing as an African. 
if you're talking about um, what U.S.-based Africans are doing and what Africans in the rest of the Americas are doing, because even when you say Black America, you're accepting the Democrats and Republicans' definition of America, which is so white supremacist and fascist that it would have Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler envious. So if you're talking about the Americas and understanding that what is commonly referred to as the slave ship is the first form of public transportation, because public transportation picks you up and drops you off. So right now, Venezuela is leading what is called the Afro-descendant movement, saying that Africans throughout the Americas should get on one political accord. That's going on right now. But um, I think that the question that people are talking about is, um, it comes back to us, do we believe that capitalism should be, can be reformed? The same way that when we, when we were dealing with colonialism in Africa, that the fundamental question was, should colonialism be eradicated or, should it, or can it be reformed? And we're, we're still there right now. So just from that vantage point. But the thing is, there are many who say that they are for liberation, theoretically, but when it comes to the execution of their ideas, they're for reform. And one of the things we see examples of reform that can advance the revolutionary process and reform that contaminates the revolutionary process. So I think that, okay, so that, that is, that's one of the things that I think that needs to be clear. And also just what our relationship to the African continent is going to be and the scheme of young people talking about generational wealth and the scheme of young people talking about black excellence and Black Lives Matter in terms of their interpretation of it. And where do we, what is our role? Uh, if I could add on to what Brother Obi is saying, because um, part of your question was what should a black agenda look like, a black political agenda look like, right? I believe very much what Brother Obi said, um, and Malcolm told us, you, you, we can't do anything here if we're not also trying to make some type of serious uh, reconnection with our motherland, because everybody else is going to the motherland with nefarious reasons to extract the, the reserves and resources. And the, uh, it's still a brain drain, even though it started in the 70s or so, there's still a brain drain of taking Africa's best doctors and such, like the Nigerian doctors, there's more over here than there are over there. But any serious political agenda by African peoples is going to have to include connection. 15 Africa. Uh, but again, it goes to what Brother Kamal said. What's your viewpoint and outlook? Are you looking at it as an African? Or are you looking as an African with white with a white mind? There's Africans that are trying to re-engage with Africa as the sixth uh, union, meaning the diaspora, uh, re-engaging in the United States of Africa but they're thinking of doing it with the colonial system that already exists. And then there's some Africans like the Pan-Africanist Federalist Movement that want to do it from the ground up, from the, the common people up, because they know that the system as it exists, the colonial system, will only continue and only dampen any serious reconnection with the African continent. So everybody here is basically on, on point with the same thing. But uh, I, I think we need to have more conversations about what, what each other is doing and uh, expanding on that seriously all right family just a, a quick reminder when we uh do the round table once everyone contributes if you uh want to go back um or or build on what someone said try to keep it 
uh, to a 30 second response just so that we can keep uh, the time flowing. Um, but since I'm a panelist, I will just say really quick, um, I do think that um, a black political agenda and a black liberation agenda are some are two things that are um, completely separate. They are not uh, one and of the same. I think that a black political agenda um, is something that we feel as though we can fashion collectively here in America to uh, negotiate with this particular system for some type of advancement and or harm reduction. Um, but as is stated, um, in many ways, we are so politically different that it's almost impossible to, to develop what's referred to as a black political um, a agenda. I mean, we have different black political formations that are looking to engage with this system, but that is absolutely not the same thing as a black liberation agenda. Uh, an agenda for liberation has to be based first and foremost uh, on land, right? It has to uh, it has to uh, prioritize, right? Our self determination it has to prioritize our survival. So the land, in my in my view, has to be the basis of that. I don't think that we can create a situation where we start to say that liberation is not uh, something that's monolithic. I think it actually has to be. Like you can't have this concept of individual liberation. Like liberation means you know one thing for you and one thing for me. That's not uh, you know something that a people. Um, or from a nationalist perspective, we should be um, embracing. I think that we need a collective liberation that we need to be pushing towards. Okay. All right, Beth, let's go on to the next question. Um, we do have several other questions. Um, this has been great uh, discussion uh, so far. But the next question is, given the amount of lies that have been told about Black power over the last 40 years, what is the most effective way to reintroduce Black power to this generation? And that's to the entire panel. Anybody's welcome to jump in. I want to jump in and start if I, I can. It, it's When we say reintroduce it to this generation, there's a whole lot about Black power that was never even introduced because of the lies, because of the distortions, because of who and what the media determined to focus on. The civil rights movement is held up, it's venerated, it's been analyzed, it's been nostalgized. The Black Panther Party has been held up. It's been talked about, blah, blah, blah. But the Black Panther Party was not the hero of the Black Power movement, okay? And it appears as if people go from civil rights, then they go to Black Panther Party, then they go to, okay, well, we're citizens now or whatever. And they leave out a whole huge section. First of all, they leave out Kwame Ture, all African people's whatever. They leave out that whole segment, okay? They leave out the whole segment in terms of the new African independence movement, just completely obliterate it from history. I mean, you know, I'm just saying, so it's, which is the reason why I wanted to write, you know, Black Power, Black Lawyer to uh, try to re, well, I say reintroduce or introduce, or, you know, uh, you know, some of these, um, you know, topics to uh, the next uh, generation, but we need to call these names. And I listened to some of what was talked about yesterday, our political prisoners, our prisoners of war, I mean, you know, many of us got arrested in front of the South African embassy calling for the release of Nelson Mandela and, you know, other people's when it came to our own political prisoners, prisoners our own freedom fighters for liberation. We didn't do the same thing. I know, you know, and I'm saying these are the things, see names, when folks say call her name or call his name, call the names of those who've been murdered by uh, the police. We need to call the names of our um, freedom fighters. Um, who are the victims of the war in Corn Temple. So I'm just saying we need to really introduce all this to the next uh, generation. And I would say some more, but I know my time is up. So, No, that's good. I appreciate that. That's a remix on the question. Um, 
Anybody can I jump in? Absolutely. Yeah, can I jump in real quick? Um, I totally agree with um, uh, Mama Nikichi. I think also just on a basic, just as a parent, right? You know what I'm saying? Look at the stuff that your kids is reading and inject those names, inject those events and those those different things and and and, t- and take and have them take it back right and have conversations with their friends right it's, it's just that simple we really need to not only call their names but kind of be aware all the time of what these young people are um what's getting in front of them and and and, and interrupt those narratives and inject the names inject those events so that they can go back and have those conversations. It's just that simple to me, like just having a, a basic conversation with them, with those names, with those events, and 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 just keeping them curious, keeping them curious to go back with that information to to you know wherever they are, and they, and they have those conversations. Right, teach it basically. My sisters are key. One of the things, uh, if, I, if I may, just I'm gonna do it quick. Absolutely. Uh, we have uh, more so than any other time in the past. We have. A tremendous access to film and audio and other uh, means of going over this. And I think with Transatlantic Productions has one of the largest uh, files on record of, of this period. Uh, you got stuff on Channel 13. Uh, you got um, the great Griot and other brothers and sisters that have channels on YouTube. Uh, there's three or four th- channels on my or, or, websites on Malcolm X, including the, the, the 1992 and 93 conference that was held at Borough Manhattan Community College. There's tremendous acts uh, of resources for us to have these real discussions with kids and reframe the quote-unquote civil rights movement, reframe re- a revolutionary action movement and the Black political prisoners and move now. But the other part of it is you have to be determined as an African to make some quality time to help your children to process this stuff and understand it because all of it, I mean, they're exposed to it, but they're exposed to Martin Luther King, but they tell you that Martin Luther King had a dream and not a vision. They don't tell you that Martin Luther King talked about African-Americans having a a, a blank check that, that's, you know, that, that needs to be cashed. They don't tell you about his stance on the war in Vietnam in any serious way. So the resources are there. It's up to us to have the conversations with our young people and family to reframe the conversation and talk about the things like Mama and Ketchy was saying that have not been spoken of. Okay. All right. Um, I was definitely asked to uh, reread the question, so I want to be sure to do that. Given the amount of lies that have been told about Black power over the last 40 years, what is the most effective way to reintroduce Black power to this generation? And Sister Mello has her hand raised. In all honesty, I think that overwhelmingly uh, Gen X is kind of gone. And I think like uh, uh, Sister LB said and Mama Nkiche and Brother Asukile was saying, we have to um, counter the narrative. We have to push our own propaganda to the children. Well, the truth to the children, but it is propaganda. We've got to, let me just you know, give you a, an anecdote here. For me, I was raised Rasta, not the Bob Marley, we are the world. Peter Tosh is my uncle. And my mother was incredibly militant. Now I had a, you know, a period of time where I was wavered and the teachings were out of my head. But when you plant those seeds early, the child becomes almost like a sleeper cell, you know, and then everything that uh, you taught early uh, 
you know, blossoms in their adolescence and then later on in, 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 in probably middle adulthood. It is imperative that we reach the children. Whoever we can reach, we should, we should reach uh, in terms of Gen X right now. But I do think that overwhelmingly this generation, they're raising and affirming each other in, in, in the foolishness and in the negative narratives and in the incorrect narratives and pushing like people like Baldwin and talking about the Bayard Rustins and so forth and not the Kwame Therese and the Thomas Sankaras and the, you know, the, the, the folks who we all here know, I don't have to tell you, we have got to continue to push our prop, our, uh, if the information we have early that some of us may have gotten late, if that makes, you know, I think that answers that. Say, Brother Rashid, did you want to come in? Yes, please. And I really appreciate what uh, Mama Ioba uh, said, because this is, uh, you know, my, my thinking about this comes from uh, what uh, Chairman Fred Hampton said. You know, uh, he said that the people learn best through observation and participation. And I think that's very important. Uh, I, I, shared, I also share this concern that the sister raised uh, with a lot of my generational peers. I, you know, I look, I was telling my wife last week, like, where are these cats? And I think people have been seduced by uh, by capitalism. But but for me, in terms of my work, because I mentioned some of the stuff that I do, but most of the work that I do is in community. So we have a, my, we, my family has a farm. I, I work with the Youth Rights, Rights of Passage Program. I uh, work with a, a group called the Black Survival Network. We've been doing survival training in the community for 40 years. Uh, I have a, I teach Capoeira, you know. And so for me, if we're interested in modeling for youth, our youth what African liberation, the striving towards African liberation looks like, we have to model that in word and deed, and we have to make them a part of that work, right? And so, so for us, I can't, I can't, all of the work that I do intersects my, my interactions with young people. You know what I'm saying? Most of my Capoeira students are under the age of 18, and I'm not just teaching movements, I'm teaching their history, their culture, and then and the necessity of struggle for the attainment of us creating, for the possibility of us creating a better reality. Uh, in terms of what we do with the farm, you know, the Council of Independent Black Institutions says there were six levels of institution building. I named some of them earlier, but it's food, clothing, housing, uh, healthcare, education, and defense. And so for me, all of the work that we do as much as possible in bed, so saying, so at the farm, we deal with healthcare and food. And so the youth, the young brothers from our Rights of Passage program come there. They have learned, my children learn, other youth in the community learn with what we do with the survival uh, program. You know, a lot of the people that come to the survival camps are youth, and we teach them how to survive. We teach them how to defend themselves. We, do, we have political- 17 seconds. Sovereignty. Thank you. And so for me, if we're interested in young people uh, understanding African liberation, then we have to engage them in the work. We have to actually engage them in the work that facilitates the actualization of that in, in whatever degrees possible. For me, much of that work has been related to institution building, such as with food, for instance. I say, uh, Brother Gabe has his hand raised, come on in. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what Brother Kamal just said um, is, is some of the things that I've done over the years. I mean, I think um, for me, the political is personal, the person is political. So I work with young people all the time and I work with those who have parents um, and guardians who have been incarcerated. And so I do a letter writing campaign pretty much monthly and we write their parents because we understand that having a parent who's been incarcerated is a political orientation. But more importantly, I'm also able to say, not only is your uncle or, my, or dad, my personal brother Gabe's uncle been down uh, locked up since 93. So now there's a connection made, but more importantly, not only now are we going to write your uncle, my uncle, we're going to write Mumia Abu Jamal. We're going to write Russell Maroon Shows. We're going to write Jamil Alameen. So now there's even a deeper connection based on work that you've already been doing thus far, right? Secondly, you know, one of the things that I've done for the past 19 years, frankly, 
is introduce work on the college campuses. Uh, my organization, St. Kofi Community Empowerment, you could literally go to the Big Five here in Philadelphia, Temple, Community College of Philadelphia, Drexel University, even Penn, and just look up the information, see who organizing as far as the Black Caucus, Black Student Union, meet up on, o- over coffee, and figure out ways to collaborate interests. Then we would go to those meetings and become a part of their family. I can tell you right now who's the current presidents of all these groups at every campus. Why? Because I've gone to them and introduced information. Thirdly, when I first started going to the UNIA back in 2001, rest in peace to Baba uh, Johnny Gossett and Baba Brickman Battle, one of the things I recognized then was there's too many elders in the UNIA, no young folks. And so I began literally bringing folks to the space because they didn't know how to engage people. And that lasted almost a decade, a decade plus, really, of trying to introduce brothers in the neighborhood, particularly in North Philadelphia, at Division 121. And so that work has to happen. We just got to do that labor. I'll close by saying this. Five years ago, we started a program called RBG Fridays, or Red, Black, and Green Fridays. Also for us, it meant right, uh, right at Broad and Girard, which is a key corridor here in North Philadelphia. All we would do every Friday, 5 to 8 p.m., we post up. We have the RBG flags out. We give out free information about programs, entities, free food, free information every Friday consistently for three Friday for three years straight. We did that even through the cold, through the winters, Thanksgiving holidays, Christmas, whatever holidays that they people celebrated. We were still out there even on New Year's. People saw us every year. The balls out selling Lucy's, balls out selling weed. We was all in the same corner building having conversations, but people knew every Friday. I could come here and get information. I could come here and get food. I could come here and get clothing, right? Now, what's that flag about, good brother? What's the flag about, oh, it's for real, it's this? We got our own flag, for real? Oh, it means this? Wow. We just got to be visible, and we got to commit to the work. Can I just really quick, I'm going to let one of the other panelists jump in, but I just want to uh, give Brother Gabe his roses because I want to say, brother, you single-handedly, like, really reignited uh, the UNIA and that and then activating, reactivating the RBG here in Philly because it was through you uh, and your efforts with RBG Fridays that I was introduced to the RBG, but also introduced to the UNIA where I serve president, brother. So I just want to give you your roses right now because I can attest to the work that you've done to reintroduce, you know, Black Power to this community here in Philly. I'll, I'll jump in. Um, my my opinion is that. Black power this time around is really going to have to heavily center on the continent. Um, Not to say that just the continent, but I think it really has to come from the continent and from connecting the different struggles for liberation that are already taking place uh, with one another and with our own struggle domestically here. Um, If you look at what's going on in Africa, Africans are protesting, Africans are are going out against their governments, but what's missing is a real identification that you're not just struggling against the corrupt dictator. You're not just struggling against this corrupt government. You're struggling for sovereignty. You're struggling for control over your resources. You're struggling for control over your land. But um, without being able to connect that that commonality, I think that um, that's really what we're struggling. As far as here in America, I think the capitalist system has just robbed us of so much of our fight. Um, you know, for me personally, when I'm organizing, constantly the thing I'm always hearing is I don't have time or, or I, you know, I have to, I have to go to work. I have to do this. And we're, we're so comfortable 
that I think that Black power, we're okay with putting it on when it's convenient, but when you talk about doing it when it's not convenient, that's a whole other struggle to get our people to that level of mobilization. So I think that we really have to look to the continent who who does have that type of, those types of uprisings and connect the conscience of our people here with that what's going on in, in Africa and in the Caribbean and other places where people are rising against their governments. Same. Anybody else want to come in on this question, or we can? Yeah, yes, um, yes. I, I wanted, I wanted to come in for sure. Okay. Um, and I, and I love the fact that um, we've swung from um, ideology into methodology. That's that's my part, uh, my favorite part, because we have to execute these ideas. Um, let me just give you guys. Well, first of all, on the question of black power in terms of its distortion, that's a microcosm of our overall of our overall struggle. When you take a look at what's called the civil rights and human rights movement, you have a predominantly SCLC narrative of that experience. When you take a look at um, what's going on in Southern Africa, that whole 14 nations is the struggle is reduced to the autobiographies of Nelson and Winnie Mandela. So it comes with the territory. And basically we're in a situation where when we work with children, we tell, we let them know immediately that we must treat social science with the same respect that we treat math and natural science, where anything devoid of facts is inadmissible. That's the same approach that we need to take. Um, In terms of some practical things that you can look, oh, and I'm asking everyone who in their respective areas, if you would like to start a branch of Mass Emphasis Children's History and Theater Company and the Mass Emphasis Positive Action and Youth Brigade, I need to talk to you right away. The only person on this panel I've reached out to about that is Sister Esquire. I asked her a couple of years ago, based on the work she was doing, um, would they be interested? Did they have some children? And the reason that I said that right now, um, this summer, the children, a 16-year-old girl named C.L. Lee Wright, a 20-year-old boy, young man named Zion Utsi, a 21-year-old young man named Jalen Mitchell, they created a documentary about the role of Cuba in eradicating the corona pandemic demanding for Cuban medical personnel to be granted access to United States soil. And they did that in eight minutes and 20 seconds, which means that they were able to do something of that quality in less time than it took for terrorist police in Minnesota to snuff the life of George Floyd. And so this shows us that we go from a narrative rooted in resistance as opposed to the one rooted in victimization that we like to propagate. But going back to Black Power real quick, We say that we want to go back to, first of all, the lineage of it, because one of the things that we know is that we treat the 1960s the way Christians treat the Garden of Eden, like it's the beginning of everything. Frederick Douglass is the first to use black power. Then Richard Wright wrote a book in 1954 dedicated to Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah wrote a book called The Specter of Black Power. My father Obi Agbuna Sr. is the founder of the Black Panther Party in London and wrote a book called Destroyed His Temple that's being reissued by Black Classic Press in February talking about the Black Panther and the Black Power Movement in Britain. And there it was indivisible. They did not take a watered-down alternative called Power to the People to appease white liberals like we did in this country. No. So um, what, I'm say- what, what I'm saying is that, so when you look at that, but in particular what these children have done, Last year, we had a child, we had two children, a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old, two brothers, two DJs, 
they did a mixtape tribute to Kwame Ture. We've done, we did a children's play about Kwame Nkrumah and Thomas Sankara. We did a children's play about Samora Marshall and Harriet Tubman because both of them were nurses and Samora Marshall's middle name is Moises. That's how you say Moses in Portuguese. So it showed the young brothers that men can be nurses too and women can be liberators as well. So we've done, like I said, we've done 24 plays, but 20 have been performed. So in turn, and our target is between five, I'm sorry, between five years old and 18 year olds. And I've taught African history at Muhammad University of Islam, Roots Public Charter School, public schools throughout the state of Alabama. So real quickly, so I just wanted to talk about those practical things. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. I'm just trying to make sure I don't have anybody else's hands raised, but I did uh, have a request to read the question just one more time. And that question again uh, to the uh, panel is given the amount of lies that have been told about black power over the last 40 years, what is the most effective way to reintroduce black power to this generation? Um, real quick, sister Zakia, can I say something? I think to answer the latter part of that question, um, what we also should be keen on is really look at what the what the young generation is gravitating towards. We have to learn how to speak their language because, you know, we don't we don't want to push them away because in a lot of ways they already feel that we're too preachy or a lot of what we doing is uh, a lot of what we're talking about or doing is antiquated. Right. So we have to we have this unique charge where we have to see, like, what is it they gravitate to and applicability is going to be important. They have to see it. They have to see that it works. So if we can marry those two, you know what I'm saying? Then we have a, we have like a whole bunch of warriors that we can have finish the work and do the work. All right. And Brother Asakili, did you want to answer that question? No, I just, I, I agree with what the sister said because a lot of the questions, like I used to work at Harlem Hospital, right? Uh, in a program called Happy Harlem Adolescent Pregnancy Prevention Initiative. So I went to like every community center in the projects in, in Harlem. And uh, we had teen leaders and even my teen leaders are supposed to be the best of the best, right? Uh, they're going with us and they're we're teaching them how to facilitate workshops and stuff, right? So I'm having conversations with the teen leaders now that are supposed to be the best of the best. And I'm talking to them about blackness and Africa and they would say, Mr. Mitchell, we don't want to hear about that Africa stuff. How is that going to put some money in my pocket? And, and it's clear that white folks control everything and, because I was trying to tell them to think about going to HBCU. That's how the whole conversation started. Uh, and I don't want to go to no black school. I want to go to a white school. That's where the money is. White people are running there. And that's what they said to me. So if we can't present this information, how, whatever methods that we choose to use, the young people are not going to pick it up. If they can't see it's practical, that is going to improve their lives, that it's going to get them out of the projects, uh, that is going to uh, set them up for a future with, that they want to see. With Now we need to work on what their concepts are because they want a future with all of this crap and material in it, right, instead of freedom. But if we can show them that this could improve their lives, then that's however we do it, uh, it's going to be successful. But if we can't do that, we might as well hang up yeah. Right now, and just go, you know, go to Africa or find some trees or whatever to lay up on it because we're just kidding ourselves. Yeah, I, I, that's real. And uh, no, I'm the I'm the moderator, so I'm not going to answer the question. But I certainly unite with a lot, um, you know, that has been said. But that last point 
um, at least in my grassroots advocacy and organizing, and not just with kids, but even with adults. Um, that's true. Yeah, you know, there, there's this idea that black nationalists are poor, we just talkers, and, and all these other kind of things. And so, if you don't have, like you said, that practical and some prosperity with it, and we can talk about what that looks like, but in terms of talking to them, it's it's tough. Uh, I next- just I just wanted to, I just wanted to add something real quickly, if I may. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, that that's the initial perception, but in my experiences, I don't necessarily um, find that to be true. I think that what is um, when you talk when you teach young people in in an educational setting, the first thing you do is you find out what their aspirations are. So if you find a young person and they say that they want to be a journalist, teach them who Daisy Bates is. Teach them who George Padmore is. Teach them who Edmund Wilmot Blyden is. If they tell you that they want to be a doctor, tell them who Franz Fanon is. Tell them who Augustine Onito is. Tell them who Daniel Hale Williams is. I think that when we identify what their aspirations are in terms of the skills that they want to harness, let us identify the freedom fighters that made impeccable contributions to our struggle who had that same identical skill. And also, we must make a departure from just quoting people who we embrace ideologically in isolation from the actual work that they did. Because if we talk about the work more, that gives us a chance to focus on the positive contributions and to focus on the mistakes. Then all the mistakes get corrected and all the impeccable contributions get expanded upon. And that, um, functioning from the understanding that we're not intimidated by those who we are obligated to expand on based on what we've declared. That's all I had to say. If I could just add one more thing, inept examples, uh, like Sister Lydia said, uh, we're deemed as preachy or outdated or antiquated in our ideas. And if we provide examples, uh, proof cannot be argued. Proof cannot be argued. Whenever people start out telling me that Pan-Africanism is dead, you know, people on the outside, I show what Pan-Africanism has done for me in in terms of um, residual income and in terms of uh, spiritual upliftment and just in terms of, they love the word tangibles, just in terms of tangible results. We, they're tired of listening to us. They're tired of hearing what we have to say. I think we have to show and prove. Um, talks do have to happen, but examples need to be shown. If I could add one more thing, since this is, okay, is that possible? Yes. Yeah, one thing I'm thinking about also is, you know, we started doing, we created a, a a Malcolm X Day celebration five years ago, right? Obviously, we've been doing Malcolm X Days as a community, as a people, for decades. But the crew that came out of RBG Fridays, and shout out to my brother Ron Green, you know, said, look, man, how can we celebrate on Minnesota every day, you know, sorry, every year, doing a celebration in Malcolm X Park in Philadelphia where our youth congregate every year we know it's on that day or that week and figure it out. And part of it is, I'll say this, I'd say about 80% of our participants are under 40, Right. And they're individuals who are trying to investigate, okay, what's going on with the music plus the uh, the marriage of the commentary on stage. Like last year, literally 2019, we had two panels, one on reparations and one on Nipsey Hustle. You follow me? The point is, we know that they might be geared towards the Nipsey conversation and what that meant for them last year because he passed away. But now, because we have you, we can look at reparations and what does it mean for our community? So we got to be able to figure out a way to do that or we have that captive audience, people keep coming year in and year in and year in. Become an institution that everybody looks forward to. It's sort of like the start of summer of all the festivals, right? 
And so being able to do, to do those things as well helps this question of black power, making it more formidable in our community. I say, definitely. Um, all right, it's cool. So I want to make sure we are trying to get through all these questions. And um, there's the, so the next question is, and it kind of ties in somewhat, um, but are there any ideologies or politics that you would define as antithetical to building black power? So it ties into this previous question. Again, I'll read it. Um, <laughs> are there any ideologies or politics that you would define as antithetical to building black power? And again, anybody can jump in on that. I got a feeling that's going to be a good one. Uh, black Lives Matter for me, uh, for several reasons. A, for the reasons of its inauthenticity. Uh, it was started by brothers like Brother uh, Tory, who was here yesterday, and Brother uh, Darren Seals, peace be, among, uh, peace be upon him, and the other brothers who were murdered uh, while the, high, the movement was hijacked right from under them. Uh, furthermore, I don't believe in begging Yorubu to recognize my humanity. Who are they for me to be begging them for my humanity, to recognize my humanity? I am not below the Yorubu. I am way above the Yorubu, so that's not what I'm going to do. And just the, um, the mission, uh, they, they recently changed their language because people like Straight Black Pride Movement have been calling them out for the last four years. Uh, them removing the black man from the nuclear family structure and uh, gearing their attention into alternative lifestyles or, you know, however people want to put it. I'm Straight Black Pride, so this is what, you know, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with putting sexuality before your race. I have a problem with pitting black men against black women. I have a problem with pitting elders against youth. I have a problem with all that. And that is what they embody. That is what they embody. So, yeah. All right. I knew this was going to be a good one. Anybody else? What are <laughs> the question is, um, are there any ideologies or politics that you would define as antithetical to building black power? And uh, absolutely, uh, Sister, um, you know, Melo, I, I certainly unite with a lot of what you have said. I would say uh, much of the ideologies that have been developed um, over the past 40 years coming out of the academy are antithetical uh, to producing um, or developing black power, right? Because we know, and I mentioned this, I may have mentioned it in the documentary, um, COINTELPRO, right, coming out of the 60s and the 70s, they wanted to uh, subsidize finance and support uh, anything that would lend to increased division within the community, um, anything that would be anti-nationalist uh, um, or anti-collective organizing based upon race. Right. So race has been demoted um, strategically over the past 40 years. So you hear, you know, these tropes that, you know, everybody coming out of the out of the academy now has. So folks will say things like, you know, we are not a monolith or, you know, black power is for black men or, you know, black nationalism is narrow. You know, it only focuses on race, things like that. So I think that anything uh, any of those types of ideas that focus on hyper like, you know, individualism. Um, you know, uh, for example, one thing that you notice about this particular move movement now and the basis of it, when people like introduce themselves, like their individuality is what takes precedence. So they'll say like, you know, me as a black handicapped person from a poor upbringing with this, 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 like they'll label everything that makes them a hyper individual. Right. Because, you know, that has be become the new 
uh, currency in the movement, but that's not a true power. That's a way that individuals can kind of wrestle some coins from uh, the purse of the white ally industrial complex, but that doesn't allow us as a collective to build true power. So I would argue everything from intersectionality to all these other, you know, micro uh, theories that have come out of the academy over the past 40 years have been completely antithetical, antithetical to building black power. Yeah, the whole postmodern, the whole postmodernist um, movement, absolutely. Academy definitely has a lot to do with what we're seeing now, including the BLM movement. It's all connected. Others. Yeah, um, I echo what uh, Sister Mello and Brother Omawale say. Uh, if they say A, then we know it's the opposite. We say B. Like, just go the other way, period, point blank, right? Because it, it's just confusion. You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, to go through every single, like I tell my kids, I was like, listen, it's just, they just set up to confuse you. And that's all this madness that's going on. So if they say one, say two go the other way and and that's just it <laughs> i mean it's just that simple to me like i you know whatever they say i do the opposite I, i'm gonna be real easy simple rather anything that takes us away from being african is is antithetical to our liberation right so lgbtq now i have a, a newly found sister she's married to uh another woman right i love her but that's antithetical to us being African. So we had to be clear that LGBT, God, Africans are scientific. We study the universe and everything in the universe and to understand how it works to create what we did. We did not create uh, John Henry Clark called kitchen mittens, which is huge heaps of garbage and anthropology, right? Because we understood that everything that we make has to go back into the earth. We understood that God made man and God made woman to recreate on, on the earth, or male and female, if you want to say it like that. God did not make no hidden genders or second genders or whatever. Now, anything that takes us away from the, what the natural order of the universe is and what God put us here to do as African peoples, the first peoples on the earth, is antithetical. So that's capitalism, that's communism, that's socialism, where there's no no God at the center of that, you know, automatically, if there's no no creator at the center of your being, at the center of the foundational ideology of it, that is not of African people. Because African people understood, when you look at all of this going on around here, that there's a divine creator that made this wondrous thing to operate that the way that it operates. That's how we came into an understanding that there is a God in the world, right? So anything that takes us away from our creation, our closeness to the creator and our connection to the rest of the universe is antithetical to our growth. I want to uh, point to um, particularly colonial and uh, American imperialist policies that to me, um, that, that was the biggest turnoff about this election is that you have a lot of people who are pushing the idea that we're going to do something that's going to be for black people. But a lot of the politicians have agendas uh, that go completely contrary to African liberation. So I think that there's been a real um, push historically to have us think of ourselves as just us in America and not think about, for example, I remember uh, Joe Biden um, basically bragged on how he was going to endorse uh, Juan Guaido in Venezuela 
who is a um, who's not a legitimate president, but is being picked by the United States to basically uh, undo what the people of Venezuela have um, elected to be their their actual president. Um, these are things that go contrary to African people globally. So I would just uh, follow, follow, answer that by saying uh, these this idea that we can support imperialism and support colonialism and still support African libera- black liberation in America, um, that's a deception. I appreciate everything that everybody said. And, and to me, I think it's also very simple. I think any paradigm that compels us to envision a future where African people are caught up in this particular system, and and, and just to, to unpack what that means, right? Because Negroes have the idea that this thing can be changed; they can be it can be made into something better. And I remember it was something Marlene um, Mubaruti said, and I can't remember where he wrote it, but he says that we have to accept that this entire that this entire reality is 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 is, uh, is based on isfet; that everything around us is based on isfet. Isfet is a, a concept from ancient Kemet that refers to wrongdoing, but not just wrongdoing like I'm a liar, I'm a cheater, I'm a thief wrongdoing on a, on a, even a cosmic scale. And this is what Dr. Carruthers wrote about when he talked about fundamental alienation. And so I think that one of the things that's a fundamental part is that we live in a society that's organized on the basic principle of ISFET, that is the principle of wrongdoing. And so slavery, colonialism, pre- capitalism, neoliberal capitalism, you know, uh, um, in any form of, of, of the, the varying, the very, the very social structure of the society is predicated upon the idea of the, the evisceration of, of humanity and the exploitation of nature. And so for me, any investments that we make in that, and to me, we are making investments in that when we are advocating a path short of us controlling our own future. And so, and again, to Brother Omoale's point, sadly, many uh, Black thinkers, and especially over the context of the last several decades, indeed, I agree, have embraced the politics of, I call it the politics of atomization. Right. Uh, they've embraced political discourses that that if we if we fully enter into them would have us believe that we have nothing in common with any other group of African people in the world. We have nothing in common with people in our community, that we don't have a shared destiny. In fact, that what we should be pursuing is our own individual best interests. And that's what, you know, when the sister Yoba mentioned earlier about the uh, the failure of my, our generation in particular, I think that's a big part of it. I think too many of us have embraced this idea of individual uh, prosperity over the idea of collective liberation. And, and so any politics that compels us to embrace that, because it's a visionless future, and instead what we should be striving for is a future that represents what Anderson Thompson would say, the greatest good for the greatest number of African people. I say. So I just want to say that it is just really a sad state of affairs where we have gone from, even if it was just a slogan, the pinnacle of the powerful slogan of black power. Okay. Just the slogan, black power to today, what I call the minimalist moniker of just for our lives matter, going with what Sister Melo was saying, you know, just to be able to breathe. I mean, that is a sorry state of affairs. I mean, to go from that height to go to just being able to survive. And then brother, uh, I think it was Azukili um, was saying about the Korean Terrible, it was the black nationalists that were targeted, the Pan-Africanists that were targeted with respect to Corinthopo to stop the rise of a messiah who could unify and electrify the militant black nationalist community. You know what I'm saying? To stop these groups, to stop the black nationalists from gaining respectability, to stop them from, you know, recruiting the youth. I mean, they knew where the power was, okay? They knew what the um uh what 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 the the, the pinnacle and the height was. And they sought to smash it. 
How you doing, Baba? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm agreeing with Boca saying um, one of the principles in the Declaration of Independence, of, and I'm just going by memory of the Republic of New Africa, was is something to practice ours is a revolution against oppression, our own oppression and that of other oppressed people in the world. And then it's a revolution for a better life and a sure station for folk and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, anything that is the antithesis of that is something that's not going to help us get from point A to where we need to be. I'd say now, um, Baba Hashem, uh, my my partner has heard your voice, Mama Nikichi, so he wanted to come and say hi. <laughs> he recognized your voice. Well, I saw your daughter too. Let us yep. see her. <laughs> that's right, Asada. That's right. That's her name. All right, family. Anybody um, else, uh, brother? Yeah. You, I figured you was coming in. I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, I think I think that the bottom line is just in terms of we have to look at how black power got redirected. I remember um, hearing Dr. Khalid Muhammad when he started the new Black Panther Party. He would say Africa is not our home, it's our throne. And um, when we heard that, our response always was, we don't want to play Mussolini, we don't want to play Hitler, we don't want to play Mansa Musa. One unified, liberated, socialist Africa will do us just fine. Um, when people say, real quickly, when people talk about um, socialism, they associate Marxism-Leninism with socialism as though it's the only expression. Marx said that religion or spirituality is the opium of the masses. But then you have somebody like Ahmed um, Sekouture in a predominantly Muslim country in Guinea, devoutly spiritual, revolutionary, pan-Africanist, and socialist. Gamal Abdel Nasser in, in, in Kemet, they were socialists. In Krumah, when, when he said, and I had to explain this to Dr. Leonard Jeffries a couple of years ago, when we read Marx, that's no different than Charles Hamilton Houston reading Jefferson or reading Hamilton to use law as a weapon of resistance for our people. So there's a lot of confusion there. But in terms of problematic things, um, watchdog academicians who keep organizers off their campuses, you could say that that is a problem. Brand building instead of movement building, you could say that that is a challenge. Um, the politics politics, this scrutinizing petty bourgeois approach to politics now, where you look to scrutinize people we should be defending as an excuse not to defend them. When pr former President Obama made his high-profile field trip to Cuba, the first thing people were asking me everywhere was, are they going to relinquish surrender Asada? They were looking for an excuse not to fight to defend Cuba. They are people now who are saying, Zimbabwe is giving all the land back to um, the Europeans. Imagine that. 68% of that land is farmed by women. No other country in the world where agriculture is the staple of the culture and the economy is that being done. These are people looking for an excuse not to fight against getting the sanctions on Zimbabwe lifted and not to build around them. People who talk about Nipsey Hussle. Oh, oh and of course, um, treating Africa like it's foreign policy or another part of the solar system. Anybody that talks about Emias Eshidom that you call Nipsey Hussle, we must use that as an opportunity to rally around Eritrea, the only nation in Africa that has free education and free health care right now. And if any of your organizations are interested in building ties with Eritrea, just like I told you, if you're interested in mass emphasis, 
see me after this because the only adult play we've ever done as mass emphasis was about the Eritrean women called Gorillas, Mothers and Wives because 33% of the guerrilla fighters in Eritrea were women, the highest level of women's participation in a guerrilla struggle in the history of the world, not just Africa. So just in co- connection to these things, as long and the question of wealth, we're having this conversation in a moment where there are 784 million people on the planet who live on a dollar ninety cents a day or less. 400 million of them are in Africa. Of the 25 poorest nations in the world, 22 of them are in Africa. The others are the Solomon Islands, Haiti, and Afghanistan. And if I took you to the Solomon Islands or Haiti, you think you were in Burkina Faso. You think you were in Ghana. You think you were in Nigeria. So this whole question goes back to what France Fanon told us about wealth. It is not the fruit of labor, but the result of organized protected robbery. The last thing I'm going to say on this question is we, we've gone from COINTELPRO to OINTELPRO, where you now have the United States Agency for International Development. That's the number one enemy of progress on this planet. Eritrea threw them out of Eritrea. Cuba, Venezuela, Bolivia, and Haiti said they should not be allowed anywhere in the Americas. And you see what they're going through. Um, President Obama's mother, that's how she, she was part of that organization, started by Kennedy the same time he started the Peace Corps. Part of what so these are the United States Agency for International Development. Yeah. And, that, and it is them in conjunction with the Corporate Council on Africa that are allowing Akufa Ado in Ghana to masquerade promoting neocolonialism under the guise of re-Africanizing Africa. So this is something that is going on right now. And these are some things that we're not dealing with. And Rosa Whitaker, who wrote the African Growth and Opportunity Act, all is talking about is a backdoor re-entry of Fortune 500 companies into Ghana, making them making the rape of Africa more accessible to them than it's already been, both the human and material resource. So those are the things that are a threat to us. And But there are practical things we can do to stop it right now, if we want to. Um, So, yeah, we're running up on time. So I'm going to get this last question out. Everybody doesn't have to answer uh, this question just so we can try to get to the questions that are also in the question and answer section. Mm -hmm. Um, But the question, uh, the final question tonight, uh, team, is the can a black united front between nationalists and integrationists be sustained in the current political environment? I mean, I, that that that's, that seemed like a yes or no question to me, but um, Brother Obi, did you want to? I was going to wait for some other people because I just finished, but um, because I don't think what I'm going to say is too popular. Uh, but um, I wanted to hear what other people had to say. Huh? Let me just say something real quick because okay. probably the unpopular one, but I'm just going to say, I... I really feel it really depends on the issue and the, the example that just popped into my head, I mean, I'm just saying you have a very specific um, goal, and even if that goal is going to lead to issues once it becomes accomplished I'll use the example of NCOBA, the National Coalition of Blacks and Reparations in America NCOBA brought together independentistas, it brought together um, integrationists it brought together pan-Africanists it brought together um um, sororities, fraternities, church folks, you know, and all like that, uh, with the goal of trying to educate and move the needle forward on reparations. Now that it appears to say it is becoming mainstream and people are um, um, really beginning to seriously think about it, I think now is the time to really draw back and determine which um, uh, uh, um, um, 
roads people are going to travel in terms of just what that reparation is going to look like. But at the time when Encoba was formed in 1987, it was only the independent speakers, folks, who was talking um, about it. And I don't think we would have gotten to the point where we are now um, if it had not been a, a front together involving everyone. So again, I'm just saying that's just one very, very specific uh, issue. And even at that, it's coming to a stage now uh, when people are going to have to choose um, exactly what that's going to look like with respect to their forward movement. Right. All right, brother. I see Nobody. You. I see you come off on mute. Yeah. Um, well, I think that uh, that excellent documentary that we just uh, watched before this conversation lays out a lot of the issue. There are some folks uh, who look like us, some darker, some lighter, that think uh, whose main goal it is to become part of the American machine. Uh, we know those folks as the boule. We know those folks as the Jack and Jill. We know those folks as the Divine Nine and some of our other organizations, right? But then there are folks whose main goal is the liberation of African people or at the very least control of our communities. So I'm not sure that there could ever be a complete unity, but there could be points where we could work together, as Mama and Ketchy said. But ultimately, if we say we are, want to be African, the goals of those in the boule and some of these other things are not compatible with us, you know, getting what we want. That we want our freedom and we want that control of our economic politics and culture wherever we are and especially on the continent of Africa. So I don't know if they will ever, they're not going to be reconcilable. Right. I can sit down and talk with anyone if it benefits me. I cannot work alongside someone who works against me, if that makes sense. Uh, I can come to the, like if I was in a position where I could talk to Trump, I would talk to Trump. I would negotiate with Trump. I don't have a problem with that. Could I ever work uh, together, hand in hand in an organization and um, align with Trump? Absolutely not. So to that end, I, the question, the answer for me is a black and white no, very clear, a no for me. Um, was somebody else going to say something? Because I'm not... <laughs> I, I, I mean, real quick, I was just going to say, like in you know, uh, in Kawi the theory, there's this idea that there's a differentiation between alliances and coalitions, and and I, your coalitions are, are are groups that come together for the sake of of less short term projects, short term uh, uh, goals, right? And so I could see nationalists and and, and integrationists coming together around short term goals. I'm thinking about things like healthcare policy because you know while we're engaged in that struggle, we're still confronted by the dysfunctional public health care system that impacts our people. And I could see us engaging with not with folks who are not nationalists around these these issues or, or even uh, issues around zoning or, or right now because of the pandemic, there's a lot of capital that's being afforded to a certain types of economic enterprises. So I think there are spaces with respect to coalitions, but the emphasis here has to be placed on the fact that coalitions are short term, uh, short term instances of us coming together. For, as it relates to the long-term objective of African liberation, African sovereignty, no, I don't think so. I think those are only places where we can connect with like-minded uh, organizations, formations, institutions, and so on. Um, this, this is a question of tactic, not a question of principle. 
And um, that let, let that be known. Um, when it comes to tactics, you can be as flexible as a yoga instructor. Principles, you don't budge an inch. So I think that it, it's a question of people making a distinction between the two. In 2007, I was the advisor to Ceasefire Don't Smoke the Brothers and Sisters in Washington, D.C., one of the most militant violent prevention groups you're going to find out here under the leadership of Al Malik Farrakhan. I hope he's watching. We, a 13-year-old boy, Deontay Rawlins, was gunned down by the police in D.C. saying that they saw him on a stolen scooter. Um, we raised it at the United Nations, one of the first times that we were able to deal with the police terrorism question in that context. And we equated it to neo-colonialist military regimes in Africa, the Caribbean, and Latin America. You know, the first organization was to come to us, the National Black Police Association. We didn't seek them out. They seeked us out. Um, right now, we have an appeal pushing for Cuban medical personnel to come to this country. The National Council of Churches, the largest religious slash spiritual body in this country, um, country, got on board with that. We didn't ask them. They asked us. Dr. Lucy Perez, former president of the National Medical Association, who's the only medical association president to take um, a delegation to Cuba, they came on board with it. But Mumia Abu-Jamal is on board with it. Russell Maroon Schultz is on board with it. The daughter of Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, Samir Nkrumah is on board with it. So it shows on the broad range of spectrum what we have. When we work in coalition, the question is don't budge. I am, but in terms of united front politics, Kwame Ture trained me specifically on this question. He said, work with the willing. At any particular point, people will be, be able to work. So those are some practical examples of that. Um, in 1993, uh, one of the first times I got to hang out with Mama and Kichi for a whole day, she remembers when we were at the Congressional Black Caucus and the Democrats had a panel on um, the harassment of elected officials by intelligence agencies. And we said, you can't have that conversation in isolation from COINTELPRO. And we made sure that the two things were talked about because every elected official that we have, local or national, the FBI does establish a file on them. The CIA does establish a file on them. But so to raise the question of smashing the FBI and the CIA, you have to have a coalition that broad. I remember being in the Million Man March. I had the honor of being on the National Youth Organizing Committee, the day of absence and day of action, the untold story about that march, where we're coming on. And what ended up happening on our first meeting, Dr. Ben Chavis looked at us as young people, and he said, we're going to eat two, eat, sleep, and drink three words, voter registration, voter registration, voter registration. We said, the hell we are, and we let them know that we were there for the day of absence, modeling what we wanted to do after what Lumumba did in the Congo, what Nkrumah did in Guinea, what Sekutu, in Ghana, what Sekutuere did in Guinea, positive action campaigns that led to a transfer of power. So, uh, so when you get into these rooms with people, your experience will always guide you through, but it's very important at critical times. On this appeal we have, we have the National um, Black State Legislation Representative in the poorest district in Alabama, Malika Sanders-Fortier, Calvin Hawkins... Calvin Hawkins, the council at large in PG County, he's on board with it. Raz Baraka has promised us, and we're going to hold him to it, that he's going to make a demand that the African-American Mayoral Association get on board with that. And Chokwe Lumumba is supposed to come on board with that. We're going to talk to Nkichi about that to make sure that that happens, though. So I'm just saying there are times, Brother Kamal was correct, 
we will work with whoever's committed to the go. But there are times when based on people's interests, like when the Congressional Black Caucus voted against sanctions on Zimbabwe, not one of them voted against the sanctions. You had four people that abstained. Yes, that was extremely troubling. When Trans-Africa was working with the National Endowment for Democracy to overthrow the government of Zimbabwe, yes, that was troubling. When they supported the extradition of Sister Shada Shakur, yes, that was troubling. But if we do the work... The the Congressional Black Caucus endorsed an initiative, and then when they were approached by our community, they said that they thought that Joanne Chesimard and Asada Shakur were different people. That's like saying you don't know who Stokely Carmichael and Kwame Terea are different people. You understand what I'm saying? So these these are the things that go on, but if we're working from the bottom up like we're supposed to, because many organizations, when they're confronted to do this work, confronted to deal with these issues, they always, many of them, come up with convenient excuses why they can't make a contribution. And that sometimes happens with people who are compatible with you ideologically, supposedly. Supposedly. All right. Well, that was a good way to wrap that up, wrap up that last question. We want to get to bro, Brother Gabe, can let Brother Gabe get the last point in, then we, uh, we want to take a few questions oh, I didn't from the see audience. his hand up. Yep. Did he have his hand up? Uh, no, he just raised his hand in the, in the window. Oh, I didn't see it. I'm sorry, brother. Please come on with it. I know I've been doing it all day. I know it's been a long night. Yeah, I think my answer to the question is, is emphatically yes. Um, and I think, you know, I wouldn't even want to lift up what uh, Mama Kichi said with regards to uh, and to reparations because, you know, the brother and I know, you know, here in Philadelphia, I mean, I've been traveling to D.C. for those trips. I remember that, you know, early on, even up to now, a lot of the elders and brothers, it was nationalists, it was Pan-Africanists, and it was folks who was in the church, Folks who was in the mosque, I mean, it was a variety of folks. But what we all knew was we need we need HR forty to pass. We need to build power in the community. We need to build conscious, you know, information in the neighborhoods as well. And that's why I think that we're focusing a lot more on the question of, you know, uh, you know, we're not focusing enough on the question of what is the Black United Front. That is, I think, to be at, to be at the forefront of my of my looking at this because even even how Brother uh, Eric Grimes. AKA Brother Shamari put in the chat talking about political prisoners. Uh, when the Hands Up Facade campaign came to Philadelphia in 2007 for her 60th birthday, again, we galvanized folks. I remember when you can't, I remember like it was yesterday about how can we lift this up, particularly against the backdrop of a $2 million bounty. We knew all that was going on. I didn't ask you whether you're interested in, you know, having land like I am or going back to a continent like I am. I said, damn it, are we going to fight for Asada or not? Period. You know, and one of the things that I found out through the years, bringing home the move nine, working on Jamil's case, working on uh, uh, Russell Schultz's cases, obviously Mumia's case, but several others as well, even in New York City, it winds up being not only multi and, you know, multi ideological, but sometimes multi ethnic, multi racial. And I hate that part of it, but what I understand is this I'm not going to let them be in the room, decide my ability to say, at the end of the day, they got to come home, period. I'm not going to let them reduce my ability to act. I can't do that. I can't do that. I try to bring black folks into the room more, which is the campaign, but that's got to be part of the work for me, at least. I hope by saying this. When it comes to, you know, thinking about Incrumus Torres, I remember 13, 15 years ago, we were doing a lot of work on, around gentrification. And a lot of the work was in North Philadelphia and West Philadelphia. I was working with some folks who were actually uh, priorly Priorly in the All African People's Opposition Party, APRP, uh, they were Incrumus Torres, right? I mean, Incrumus Torres. That was the position. But we all said as a community, guess what? Temples buying up homes in North Philadelphia, we got to end that. 
And so who, whoever was in the room, and we met at the UNIA, mind you, you know, you came from here. We had brothers who was in uh, the Morris Science Temple. We had brothers who was in the EMA, uh, a couple of EMAMs. And we had some brothers and sisters who actually came. There's some local student organizers. We said, how can we come together? And guess what we did? We saved houses. And I th- so I think it's a very important point, what we said earlier about what can be the temporary uh, 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 action? What can be the temporary victory? What can be the temporary cause in order to stop some things? Now, as far as sustainability is, is concerned, all I'll say is this. If we know what's, what the clear vision is, temporary could mean 20, 30 years. That's another thing that we got to think about. For me, I don't think of a temporary as one month or even a year. I think temporary to be, I've been working on Mumia's case for the last 20 years. He's locked up to 39. Say thank you. Um, okay, uh, so we want to get to the questions um, here in the question and answer section, and it looks like we have about four that have not been answered yet. So I want to get back um, to that. So let's see here. Oh, this one says not quite the question to my not quite answer my question, but which is about which is about individual and small scale experiential self-critique and problem solving, but this is interesting, a matter of of us all being willing to listen to each other. Surely after all this time, everything currently out there has singularly failed and it has a question mark. Surely after all of this, everything currently out there has singularly failed. If anybody wants to. I, I don't know. If the, I don't think that that's a question. It seems more like a statement because I see the brother, I think that's brother Afrodenka. He put two uh it looks like one has already been answered, but yeah, that seems like more yeah. of a statement than a question. I was reading his questions, right? And part of the thing, I think a lot of times for our people, and he's very, there's two particular brothers that in the question and answer that are also very uh, active in the chat. A lot of times people assume because they don't know something or they haven't seen it, that it has not been done. And I think there's a lot of um, ignorance behind that. Um, I think that in becoming active, like folks like Brother Obi and, and Mama and Ketchy, like you, and, and other everybody else here pretty much also, when you're active and stuff, uh, you see things that other people do not see in the, you know, in the newspaper. Uh, you'll be behind the scenes. There's a lot that's been going on that other people have no idea. They have no, you know, they have no clue what's going on. And a lot of people like the side chair or armchair quarterback, as they say about things that have been going on. But if you see something, uh, if you see that there's some particular type of solution that you don't see being implemented, one, I would suggest you go back to talk to our elders, one, as an African. But two, I would suggest you go out and try to implement it yourself and see if it could be done. Because more than likely, uh, uh, in my understanding, there's really nothing new under the sun. Things that uh, people are thinking of as new right now have been done before. It may not have been right for that particular time, and that's why it didn't succeed. But they, most of the thing, most of the idea that I see now, the more I dig in places like uh, the Schomburg or Dr. Jeffrey's archives, I see those ideas was already thought of and planned out in a, in a very uh, detailed way, too, mind you. So uh, um, I think that people need to actually put in some work before they can offer critiques because it's easy to sit on the side and offer critique and you haven't done the damn thing to change the condition. But I also, um, I also think that some of the things uh, that he's questioning 
were not done for our, also kill. That not everything was not done for our success. Sometimes things was just done in a survival mode. So I mean, he could take that what the brother could take that as he wants it. Uh, I'm not sidestepping your point because it's easy to write something down and type it down, and it's harder to do the work. And there's a lot of work to be done. All right, PO three four. Three five one. I unmuted your mic. You can ask your question, and then I'll turn your mic back off. Um, I guess my my question was that um, in relationship to getting to the next generation, is this about understanding that from the nationalist Pan Africanist perspective, looking from a system point, that we're talking about the, our propaganda campaign over let's use the last fifty let's use the last fifty years. The, and the, and how effective our propaganda has been in comparison to the propaganda machine of of the state itself and its um, affiliates. I meaning, you know, what brother what was laid out in the in the documentary about the um, the Negro establishment propaganda machine. So I'm asking, are we are when we looking at it from a systems evaluation? Are we talking about the ability of our propaganda machine being effective beyond just our individual work. I think one of the problems is how, I guess you could say, quote unquote, propaganda was destabilized. I mean, mm-hmm. the COINTELPO that we talked about was systemic, um, the total, just total obliteration, destabilization, inca- incarceration, um, assassination, <laughs> you know, all of that, so um, that that had a huge impact on us being able to really transmit to the next generation the things that we should have been transmitting. So I let some other people jump in. That was just my knee jerk. Um, just in terms of the question, I think he he made mention of propaganda. Um, I'll give you an experience. Um, A few years ago, um, the most powerful think tank out of Britain, Chatham House, came to the United States Institute of Peace. Has everybody heard of the United States Institute of Peace? That's the main think tank in this country that directs foreign policy. And they were coming to discuss Zimbabwe. And um, the former um, U.S. ambassador to Zimbabwe under the last Clinton administration and he was the assistant secretary for African affairs under the first Obama administration named Johnny Carson, who was the highest ranking African to be part of something called the Strategic Development Center, which is what gives gives the CIA the data. When is the best time to try an assassination? When is the best time to carry out a coup? When is the best time to rig an election? He said that um, they have to admit that Zimbabwe is winning the propaganda war against them with all of their efforts. And they said that um, it is because Zimbabwe has been able to convince the world that sanctions are the main reason that they're having challenges economically, not bad governance. And they admitted that. So, um, and it's because Zimbabwe made a transition tactically. They went from defeating them in a guerrilla war to making information their first line of defense. And so through that, they were able to neutralize everything the New York Times has done. The Voice of America has a station that 24 hours a day has Zimbabwe news discrediting the government. 
So this was just an example of an under-resourced nation who, when they gained their independence, had to borrow $20 million from Nigeria to purchase their newspaper. And in a four, in, 30, in 40 years, 19 of those years they've been under sanctions, they've been able to take on Goliath and control the narrative of their country. And now the whole world is starting to rally around them to get these sanctions lifted and people are looking at their positive attributes, their 97% literacy rate, their commitment to women's empowerment, the breakthroughs they had in health care before the sanctions. So that's a practical example of how under-resourced people have taken on the mighty and are prevailing in the war of ideas. Wow. Anybody else um, wanted to answer that question? If not, um, Brother Omawali, are you going to unmute somebody else? I think that was the last question that was um, in the uh, among the attendees. If any other attendees ha have a question, um, you can type it in the Q&A or you can raise your hand and I'll unmute you and allow, allow you to ask your question. Okay. Brother, All right, brother, brother Afford, thank you. I'm going to unmute you, but please make it short, brother, because we, we saw, I think, two or three of yours already in the Q&A and we've tried answering. Um, so please make it short, brother. You have 10 seconds to ask your question. Hi. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Good we evening. can hear you. We can hear oh, you. Great. Yeah, the question I'm asking is actually written in there already. I, I, I don't need to say it again. It's the one where I've spoken about um, uh, replacing a black elite, um, basically, that we have now with a black elite of the future, which is basically harking back to a black elite of the past for whose problems and, um, you know, problematic deeds and everything, we haven't actually solved those problems. We, we're basically trying to, uh, we, we haven't got a picture of exactly the trajectory of where we would have been, is what we should be aiming for, is what I'm saying, rather than what we imagine could have been based on the past. We, at, at the moment, what we're doing is saying, this is the ideal utopic Bro idea of Africa. Bro brother, and we Africa, haven't brother, can you can you ask a question, my brother? Well, the, 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 well, the question is, what are we aiming for? What, what, when, when we speak about leaving, uh, the, we blame the black elite now, or that has been for getting us into this position, and we're looking again to this idea of a cult, African culture with a black elite that also contributed to getting into this position exactly what are we heading forward now to what does the black elite of the future look like does it look like this idea we have of, of the past which is incorrect okay 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 anybody want to answer that i'm not clear on this black elite that he's speaking of i'm not sure at what point in the conversation that we mentioned anything of the sort and i don't know uh that we ascribed that to ourselves so i'm not really sure where that came from Mm. That, that was that, that was that was in in Brother Omowali's address in the yeah, actual film. It was. So oh was the, yeah, what, that was a question for the film. I don't think everybody film. was on, okay. on the film. Yeah. Okay. So the question was for me, uh, Brother Afridenka. I suppose so. Then yeah, that that'll do. I, I thought maybe everybody would have seen that part and then had a, a opinion in it. But yeah. um, you're you're probably the best person to answer it actually. So thanks. Okay, could you, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question very quickly and right. I'll answer? Yeah, yeah, very, very quickly. So um, the ideas we have 
um, of where we're going are based upon the past, if we're looking at African culture. The elite that we have now, one of the major critiques of them is that they do not correspond to African culture. However, the same African culture had an elite that some of them sold us into the situation we're in now. Yet we're heading to something that looks exactly like that. If we're saying that, you know, we're, we're on a liberation struggle or what I'm asking is, if that's not what we're doing, uh, if we're stop, not... Bro, stop it, brother. We're going to stop that right now because uh, this trope has been said over and over again. Our African people did not sell us into slavery. That's no one's. Uh, look, look, look. Willing, willing, guess where you going with the question, brother? He wants to, he wants to jump in now. When he's he's been he, you've been brother. throwing down your stones at me personally, no, mate. I'm not throwing stones. Let let let, 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 let the I'm person I'm actually asking the question answer the question. Right, I, 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 I got I got it. I have. I you've have got your st- personal beef with me now, and you I have to try stop the, and you I, use your platform. All right, so I had to mute the um the uh. Attendee, brother, uh, Afrodinka, we appreciate your question. Um, I, my answer is, um, in, in the documentary which you're referring to, I'm not looking to, uh, to uh, replace, you know, the current elite. Um, what I was making an argument of is, you know, distinguishing between the different aims and objectives within the black community. Um, you have um, the masses of black people whose uh, aims and objectives often often differ um, from who I was referring to as the black elite and the challenge that we've seen over the past, however many years, 150, 50, whatever you want to put a number on it as is that the masses have had a type of leadership imposed on them uh, that has sought to take them in a different, in a, in a, in a certain direction that is only beneficial uh, to this elite group and not to the masses. Right. So I wasn't making any argument about uh, the neo-colonial folks because what you're pointing to is the neo-colonial leadership that we see on the African continent. I'm not looking to basically um, – and Do- Dr. Tyreen said this yesterday um, uh, in one of her responses where she mentioned that there's a difference between um, – uh, I think she said black power and black liberation. I'm paraphrasing here, but basically she said that your intentions – we'll know your intentions uh, for your people based upon what you do when you have power. right? If you look to basically become the new oppressor, then you are really no different than your people, than, 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 than your oppressor. But if you're looking to attain power for the purpose of liberating or freeing your people, then, you know, that's when we know that you're about black liberation. So uh, hopefully, brother, that answered, uh, you know, your question. Um, so I'm going to – we have Professor James Small. So what I'm going to do, because I'm going to allow him to come on and, and ask his question. Uh, Professor James Small, we just promoted you. Uh, to a panelist, so you can feel free to turn on your uh, your camera and ask your questions to anyone on the panel. I don't see him. Yes. Uh, am I here now? You know, okay, I'm over. It takes a minute. Um, I, I, I'm sorry I'm late, but I caught enough of that discussion. Um, and I think that when we try to address the issue of alternative ideologies, because that's what we're really talking about when you're talking about culture. Somehow when we talk about African culture, we don't see it as an ideology. And that's because most of us haven't studied its economic component, its political component, its historical component. In any uh, culture, in any ideology, you're going to have some corruption, but you don't define it by the corruption. You define it by the possibilities 
to deliver to people the services, which is really fundamentally food, clothing, shelter, safety, and security. That's what we are trying to gain for our people. And if you come up, if you're looking for a system, you should look for a system uh, that allows us to behave in a way that we can set up the necessary institutions, gain control of the land, labor, and resources necessary, be in charge of the economic politics and culture where we live in order to deliver the fundamental service of food, clothing, shelter, safety, and security. And the one system, at least in modern times, that we have not really studied and developed and tried to employ is the African indigenous culture system. And a lot of times when we raise it, people bring up all kinds of stuff and it usually lets you know, we haven't studied that. We've been to the Chinese form of Marxist. We've been to the Russian form of Marxist. We've been to the American and British form of capitalism. But we have not turned and says, did our ancestors, having lived all of those centuries, building all of those civilization, have a methodology of structuring society that we really need to research and study? Um, I say thank you. I say, and also happy belated birthday to Papa uh, Jay Small as well. Thank you, and thank you yeah. for allowing me in, having come in so late. I'm sorry I'm late, but I'm honored because Absolutely. you're having the right discussion. Thank you. Honored to have you here. Um, so we are at time, family. We want to definitely, you know, honor everybody's time. Um, yes? I just want to elaborate before, before the brother who thinks I'm attacking him directly. I'm not attacking him directly. I'm saying that we need to stop that idea, that notion that in other words, what he said is, it, I'm going to break down what he said to you. Africans sold Africans into slavery. African traditional chiefs and leaders are just as corrupt, as, as corrupt as the colonial leaders that exist today in Africa. That's the mindset behind where he was going. That's why I shut him down, because I want you to know, and I'm not against you, brother. I want you to know that we have to stop that kind of thinking. Yes, there are some corrupt Africans that we have to deal with here and across the world. There are. I'm not going to lie, I said there's not. But there's never been a point that African leaders on our continent and traditional leadership have not fought for African people, have not fought against enslavers and uh, of whatever shape, black and white. So we need to stop with that thinking. And, and, and as the brother said, we are not trying to replace one uh, elite with another elite. We're trying to set up a condition that all African people's values, interests, and principles, their food, shelter, and clothing are taken care of. So don't take it personally, brother. And I'm going to say it to you again. If you don't see for whatever reason, even if it was done in the past, even if it's been done now, if you don't see it being done, then it's incumbent on you as, a, as one of our grassroots people with the vision for it to get up off your butt if you're not already off your butt and do it. All the- right. Baba Asukili, appreciate you. Um, uh, Sister Zakia, back over to you. I'm going to let you go ahead and close us out with our final round. Absolutely. Um, all right, uh, family, let's go ahead and close this out. I want to honor people's time. So um, definitely appreciate each and every one of your contribution. Um, this has actually been very um, knowledgeable for me. I mean, I learned a lot from all of you, Brother Obi, from all of you, you know, even the questions that were asked, you know, there's a lot of um, African deep thought into um, what's happening here. So the final 
um, thing is we just want to have, and we're going to be strict on time, y'all, just want to have, you know, each of the panelists um, given, you know, the final, you know, two minutes to share practical solutions, um, you know, for remaking Black Power, or as we talked about earlier, reintroducing Black Power, where the, you know, where the audience can connect with you, you know, going forward. And if you have any kind of upcoming activity or event, you know, you want to go ahead and share that. And again, the final is two minutes. And uh, certainly we can uh, start with, um, um, I guess we can start with, um, let's see, who who we going to start with? Brother Gabe, we'll start with you. Okay, good. Um, first of all, thank you. It's an honor, uh, Sister Zakia, amazing moderation as always. You're fantastic. I love your weekly shows. Keep doing what you do. Um, and thank you as well, uh, Brother Omawali, for your work. I'm sure I'll see you around the town. Um, real quick, I just want to say, um, I want to lift up just the legacy and, and current conversation around urban farming. Um, I know here in Philadelphia, um, we have several that are burgeoning, that are growing. I know you had the Nuffley Peace Park on last night. Um, you have so many others doing great work as well. Shout out to all the comrades doing work trying to acquire the land, because that is so vital right now for our movement. Also want to lift up as well Freedom Schools as an entity to continue to propagandize our movement and our work. I know here in Philadelphia, not only is it about history, but also specific figures. So not only are we going to learn about, you know, visual names, but yes, as a 14-year-old, you're going to know about Amari Obadeli. You're going to hear about Queen Mother Moore and the time Philadelphia specifically and what it means to you now as a teenager. And so all this work is possible. Also, one of the issues I really want us to really be able to begin to think about is really what it means to be anti-capitalist. But what the other people have been saying all night is what's going to be the economic paradigm that's going to work for us in the new century? Because I think that we all have different thoughts about what's what works, what hasn't worked, but we really got to figure out what's going to be the best thing uh, for us. Also, before I saying this, the work that kept going on in the first part of the conversation was around sovereignty. That's a very, 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 very uh, criterion. It has to be broken down bit by bit about what it means culturally, because separation, as we know, isn't just a geography, it's mindset. And one thing that we can't do is get stuck in the elitism of speaking out of two sides of our face. What does that mean? That means that we're always quick to utilize the, the nearly fuller quote of, if you don't understand what supremacy, everything will confuse you. But that'd be mad at our own people for being confused. Which one is it, family? Let's make sure that we can embrace those folks who might have different ideas. Maybe they haven't arrived where we are yet, but let's do the work that we can. And if that's not your work, that's fine too. But for other folks that might be their work, let them commit to that work. That's good. We can make it happen. Black power. Black power. Let's go to Sister LB. Yes. Um, well, I want to thank everybody, Brother Omawali, Sister Zakia, a wonderful job. Um, I had a wonderful time and I really learned a lot from everyone. Um, I would really like for us to take away really igniting and finding, um, and this is peace to um, Baba Asa Hilliard. Let's really try to find the maroon within us. Let's really find the maroon um, inside of us. That's, that's a strategy. We need to exercise it because we know it works, right? Um, also, uh, to what Brother Gabe said, let's get together with like-minded people. Let's do these um, Pan-African Saturday schools. Let's do these after-school programs. Let's center, center it around 
African liberation. It can be done. We know it can be done. There's there's people who did it before us. Um, and uh, most importantly, and they echoed it um, uh, yesterday in the last forum, we definitely got to stay in touch with like-minded people. And we also got, we, we got to stay in touch and keep involved with what each of us are doing and recycle that information. Um, because that's the only way that people are going to know. And that's the only way we can keep doing um, what we're doing. So thank you all. It's been wonderful. Peace. And Dr. Kamau, Brother Kamau. Yeah, to me, I think it's, it's, a, it's a number of things that we could be doing. I mean, on one level, obviously, we need to deal with all and understanding of things, right? And so obviously, deep study is always needed. I really appreciate uh, the Sister LB referring to the Maroon piece because the Maroon struggle uh, greatly informs much of what I do. Uh, because the Maroons were not just interested in their own personal liberty, but they were interested in, in destroying the system of oppression. And so I think that we need to be engaged in deep study. But I think also we need to be focused on community solutions, right? And so, like, it's a lot of Black people that are going out now. They're concerned about their personal safety. So they're going out and they're seeking training and they're attempting to arm themselves. But I remember uh, it was a sister from the December 12th movement came to Chicago back in the late 90s. And she had talked about how there was an effort by a number of cats. I think they were in Harlem talking about organizing a people's militia. And what I thought was compelling about that is that they went beyond this question of personal defense, but instead we're talking about per collective defense, communal defense. You know, with us, you know, with the, we have a farm. And my wife, a couple of years ago, uh, had an, or a, a community training farm where we not just were we growing food, but we were teaching others how to grow food. And so in all those different areas that lead, that give us the capacity to be self-determining and self-sustaining, we have to think collectively about how we can share, how we can maximally diffuse that information to our people as our people acquire the capacity to support and sustain themselves and begin to understand to a much greater degree why sovereignty is not only relevant, but it's also attainable. And Brother Kamal, how can people connect with you? We want to make sure all the panelists, if you've already gone, please put it in the chat. How can people stay connected with you in one practical step that you can apply today to re to rebuild Black power? So you can, my website is KamalRashid.com. Uh, Again, KamalRashid.com. So you can get at me there. Uh, and, you know, we can connect about the farm work, Capoeira, institution building, community education, political education, and the like. Sante. And you on, and you on Twitter, too? What's your Twitter? Yes, man. Yeah. I at, follow you. Yeah, I hate Twitter, but I'm at Kamal Rashid. I hate Twitter. At Kamal. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Um, and then let's go to Mama and Kichi. I see she has some good ice cream eating. In <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. Thank you. Thank you, Sakia, for this wonderful conversation, Brother Omawali and my fellow panelists. I just want to harken back uh, quickly to what I said before about um, the sad commentary on the state of the affairs of our movement today, how we have gone from the pinnacle slogan, you know, black power to the minimalist moniker of just for our lives to matter. But I just want to say that um, we, we really are presented today with the unique um, momentum and opportunity to bring back to the fore our ideals from yesterday, whether they were uh, political prisoners and prisoners of war, pan-Africanism, independent nationhood, reparations, you know, internationalization, etc. And there's elders in, in the struggle, with, or at least the some of us elders, and you know, it, it is really our duty, it is our responsibility to make sure that these values are transmitted to the next generation so that they, in the words of Franz Fanon, can, um, um, you know, each generation out of relative obscurity must either um, discover their mission, fulfill it, lest they betray it. We need to make sure that they don't 
betray it. And I think he has the question here. What was it? To how one practical step? Oh, one practical step. Okay, y'all. Here's my commercial. One practical step. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. This independent publisher, you know, so I ain't got no big publishing. I, mean, I ain't got no big foundations or nothing like that. So this, I'm hustling. But anyway, my memoir, Black Power, Black Lawyer. I check it out. It could um, help to provide from a personal uh, perspective because it ain't all politics and struggles. It's just a personal perspective. Um, some of the history of the movements of yesterday that might provide some type of um, illumination to um, folk who are struggling today. That's it. Thank you, Mama and Keechi. And I definitely got to get my signed copy because we, we round the corner from each other. Can't be doing that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to go to Brother Obi. Two minutes, brother. Tonight to be on with everybody. Um, um, this summer, um, on July 26th, we had a his cultural and artistic tribute to Cuba in the form of a concert. And we had artists participate representing eight African nations, five Caribbean nations, 14 United States cities, including Canada and three UK centered nations. We're going to do a follow-up the weekend of January 1st, and because of the significance of that day, we will be including Haiti as well. So anyone who has entertainment that they feel should be incorporated into that, please do it. The purpose of that is the time has come for us to seriously consider creating a fund in the diaspora for Cuba's medical efforts on the African continent where we sit down with the African Union, sit down with the regional bodies, SADC, COMESA, ECOWAS, and really think about that. Simultaneously, we're getting more of our young people to go to medical school in Cuba so they can come back to the poorest communities in this country and continue to work. 200 children have, com youth have completed that program since 2000, but the original goal was to offer 500 scholarships a year. I mentioned earlier for those of you who would like to build a, ch a branch of the Mass Emphasis Children's History and Theater Company in your communities and the Mass Emphasis Positive Action and Creativity Youth Brigade, you can. Um, those of you who would like to begin to work with Eritrea based on the fantastic work they're doing in the areas of education and health, we can link you directly with the Eritrean Embassy so you can have your own relationship. We're not gatekeepers. And with more people talking about urban agriculture, I wanted to mention this. 67% of the workforce in Southern Africa is agriculture-centered and agriculture-based. We are, in a, and for those of you who many people who talk about Pan-Africanism, but you get micronationalists because you only focus on West Africa like that's the whole continent. So this gives us the opportunity to link up with Southern Africa. When we organized a fundraiser, for the drought victims in Zimbabwe, Malawi, and Mozambique last year, all the Southern African diplomats came to Union Temple Baptist Church and said they're ready to engage our community on the strongest level since the days when we were supporting their liberation movements before they attained independence. So once again, the Cuban medical efforts in Africa, what we're pushing for here, working with mass emphasis, working with Southern African nations around education and agriculture, and working with Eritrea. I'm done. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Sister T Tyranny. Thank you, Jen, for having me. Um, I just think basically what we've been talking about the whole conversation that you have to join an organization. You really can't affect black power as an individual. 
And so to anyone who's looking forward to having that type of impact, I would say join an organization. If you don't have an organization in your community that represents what you stand for, uh, create an organization, get together with people. It doesn't have to be a physical location. You can organize with people online today. Um, you can organize with people through Facebook. You, know, you don't literally have to um, have a bunch of Black people in your community even. You could join a national struggle. Um, but once you're in that organization, I said you really you really have to make every effort in the organization to push to connecting with the African struggle. Um, the idea that we remain separate to me is to go backwards. Forward means that we realize that we're in the same struggle and that we push for solidarity um, collectively, not just our individual capacity. So um, as for me, um, you can reach me um, after at gmail.com. Um, we tried colonialism, our, our organization. You could email us at least. Brother Obi, can you go ahead and mute, though? Can you go ahead and mute, Brother Obi? Thank you. Go ahead, sister. I'm sorry. But that was that was it. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure people uh, heard how they could follow you in your email. Yeah, yeah. Um, com. I'm on Twitter, um, Facebook, um, and we charge colonialism at gmail.com or we charge colonialism.org. That's the organization that I started with a number of people. And the purpose is to bring um, the plight of colonialism of our people on an, an international stage. So if that's something that you agree with, you can connect with us. Oh, Shay. All right, Brother Asakili. Wow. This is a, it's so many ways, as you just heard, there's so many ways that we could do it. But I think uh, there, certainly organization comes to mind. But also, I think uh, what Sister LB said is very important. It's uh, educating our young people, get into their minds. Because if, if you if they don't believe that we were capable of doing it in the past, if they don't believe that we're capable of doing it now and moving into the future, then we won't go anywhere. So we in in our own minds as well as our young people's minds, because we are, as Brother Smalls has been saying, we are their future and they are the future of the future generations that come after them. So we have to, a lot of us don't believe uh, that we can do it. A lot of us don't believe that we can, not us in this panel per se, but a lot of us don't believe that we can control our own communities, our own nations, and our own destinies. A lot of us don't believe it, and you can see it in the manifestations, the manifestations like uh, uh, valuing a PhD more so than a person's common sense. For instance, just a simple one, just a simple one, right? If you don't have a PhD behind your name, all the knowledge and, and common sense that you acquired means nothing. That's not how we think, right? And it you see, so the mind is where we got to start first in our people. And there's organizing as with like-minded people, but also organizing your family. We're not going anywhere, and we can't move with our families. If you, you can't, you can move with strangers, but you can't move with your families. That makes no sense. My great-grandfather told me that and he wasn't no black nationalist. He wasn't no pan-Africanist. And he told all his grandchildren, great-grandchildren that. The family got to be at the center of what you're doing. So that's it. If you want to reach me, you can always call me, uh, 917-561-3581. Or you can reach out via email, charlesvmitchell at gmail.com. So I look forward to even my brother that's mad at me. 
I'm not attacking, I didn't attack you, brother. I'm saying I'm stopping the ideas in your mind where they are because we can't move forward with those ideas in your mind. That's it. We love you, my brother. Yeah, hopefully you all can definitely build and, and he got your number and email because yeah, that um the divisiveness certainly ain't uh helping black power. <laughs> all right, sister Mello, definitely want to get you in there, sister. Come on with it. Two minutes. Absolutely. Uh, I encourage everyone to visit uh, Straight Black Pride at waronthehorizon.com. Like uh, other, oh, and thank you, Brother Omawali, for the invite. Thank you, Sister Zakia, for the wonderful moderation. And thank you to the beautiful and uh, intelligent, esteemed panel. Um, I also suggest people lead by immersion and example. Uh, If you're interested, join the Ledge Group, which is the land for economic development of group economics on Facebook, where we uh, last count, we were in 11 African countries. We purchased land or lease it, depending on the country, uh, bring our resources and employ uh, continental, our continental cousins. We're both, we're on the East, we're on the West, and we're in the South and generate uh, residual income for yourself. So, we have some things going on. Uh, you can join the group, The Grand Rising, on Facebook to get more information or to become involved. Again, immersion example and find your charge and stand in it. We're not all here to do the same thing. And I think that's also important to recognize. How can people find you, sister? You on any kind of social media? I am on social media. So I'm Auntie Ioba Mello on uh what is it called? Twitter. Uh, you can reach me at SBPM, which is the acronym for acronym for Straight Black Pride Movement at um, Hotmail.com. So that's SBPM at Hotmail.com. All right, sister, we appreciate it. And then if you could just put your handle, because I, I know I'm not going to remember it, you put your Twitter handle in the chat so people can have that. We'll make sure to follow you. All right, brother Omawale, swing it to you. I believe you are the last person. I hope I didn't miss anybody. Just let no, me know. I'm, a, I'm, I'm going to see my time and allow um, Professor James Small uh, to share any perspective that he has on um, practical, you know, things folks can do to, to, to immediately today start building Black Power. So I'm going to let him close and take my spot. Ashe, Baba James Small, the floor is yours. So close us out. Thank you very much, Sister Zakia. Again, you're fantastic anytime you do this. And thank you, Brother Omawali. Everything I've heard is good. I mean, this is not a one solution thing or one person thing. And for my young brother who was saying people concentrating in West Africa, we work where we can. We can't work the entire continent. Um, there are those who are working in West Africa, East Africa, Central Africa. I'm in the Congo. I'm in Angola. I'm in South Africa. I'm in the East. But there's another thing. You know, it isn't about label and blowing horns. It's about helping the people on the ground get the work done. But we have to stick to fundamentals so we know where we're going. The struggle is about being able to provide food, clothing, shelter, safety, security for our people at home and abroad. That is accomplished by getting control of the economic politics and culture where we are. Black power is being in charge of your own destiny. You know, Dr. Asa Hilliard said, true freedom is being shackled to your identity, its purpose, and its goals. Our purpose and our goals is to be free, yes. But they're in between things. Here in America, 
We have to take control of the communities we are in. We've got to buy the real estate when it becomes available. We've got to do it in collective formats whenever it's possible. And we have to be very clear. I'm not playing the game of people of color and, and all that other foolishness because all these other ethnic nations have a system and a culture under which they're working. So when I walk to my community and I see the Arab community, the Indian community, the Chinese community, I'm not going to get caught up. We did that in the 60s in a false relationship with people of color that had no sense of understanding the oppression of the African-American population in the United States. So let's be very clear. If I'm going to live in a community, I'm going to own the business there. If I'm going to live in a community, I'm going to make efforts to own the real estate there. If I'm going to live in a community, I'm going to control the culture. That's why I love the idea of going back to freedom schools, going back to Friday schools, going back to beginning to teach our children, excuse the voice, that we can use every family in America needs a plumber. Every house in America needs an electrician. And, you know, and, and we've abandoned the most basic things that it takes to run a community, to run a block, to run a city. And when we talk about sovereignty, because I believe truly in sovereignty, but don't confuse sovereignty with ethnicity. When we talk about sovereignty, we're talking about the freedom for the total African nation worldwide is close to 2 billion people. Not, we are the world's largest population if we unite. We control more than three, I think it's three to five trillion dollars if we unite. There is no need for sustained poverty, but our fundamentals have been, we've been struggling around ideologies that Europeans have developed that haven't worked for them. It hasn't worked in Eastern Europe. It hasn't worked anywhere. Cuba's model, we keep playing the communist thing in Cuba, but Cuba's model is an African model. You know, I've been in Cuba, involved in Cuba all of my life. We, we, we poo-poo the African communal collective cooperative infrastructure, the Lukome and the others that undergirt Cuba socialism. And then we focus on the European notion of socialism and we miss the point. Fidel said himself, when someone asked him why he was sending the soldiers to fight in Namibia and fight in other parts of Africa, he said, because I'm going home to free my brothers and sisters. He was very clear. And so we need to be clear. The one thing we have not tried to create our political undergirding ideology is African culture. And if you want to call it African ideology, call it that. But the African way of life, which has been shattered for our 3,000-year war between Arabs and Europeans because they came up with gun technology and we didn't have it. So let's relook our system and see what of it that we could use today. And I like with Mao, I like Mao, he did a good job for China, but he says, study war, study revolution, study other people's revolution, but don't forget to study your own. And that was good. Thank you, Baba. That's all we needed right there. That's, I see you, Mama Katie. <laughs> um, well, family, this has been great. I hope that, um, you know, we all learned something here tonight. I hope that we take these practical solutions, joining organizations, um, lots of information in the chat, um, on Nikichi's website, you know, there's a lot of different things, um, 
I wanted to just share. I mean, I was moderating tonight, so I didn't want to talk too much, but a lot of the work that I do is around education. And so African-centered education for our children is something that is extremely, you know, important to me uh, and my family. So my husband and I do that work together. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of that, uh, in my opinion, has to do um, with everything else that we're talking about on the back end is starting with our children and, and centering our own um, epistemology. So appreciate you all looking forward to staying in contact with many of you um hopefully we can find ways to do work together again as, as i said i'm in the dc region uh silver spring maryland so for anybody i mean i know mama nikichi is here but anybody else is in this area definitely looking forward um you know to continuing to work with you and continue to work with each and every one of you others on the phone as well so with that um, good night. This has been great. And um, Baba Omawali, we're looking forward to that final product because um, I want to hold some watch parties for that. Well, yeah. I, so I appreciate everybody for really tuning in today. I appreciate you, Baba James Smalls, for coming in and closing us out. Um, we definitely needed to hear that wisdom. Um, for anyone who wants to support uh, the documentary, definitely stay tuned in with me. Um, it's going to be available. I'm glad I, we got a chance to show y'all it today piecemeal, um, but we want to give y'all a, you know, a product so y'all can have watch parties with the family so we can continue these discussions wherever we are um, and just go for it collectively in power. Um, so that being said, thank you all for coming out tonight. Bibi Fahudie, race first, peace. Race first. Race first.